Broadcasting live from sunny South Florida, this is KMA Talk Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of fine cigars. Your KMA crew, the Italian scallion, Paul DeGracco, Alex Tavella, a.k.a. The Goat, and always telling it like it is, Honest Abe. I like to smoke them like the Winston Churchill. Good morning to all our loyal listeners, libertarians, and lovers of the leaf. I'm your host, Honest Abe, and we are broadcasting today's show number 414 of KMA Talk Radio. Along with me today is my trusty sidekicks, as always, the Italian scallion himself, Paul DeGracco. And Hi. South Paul from South Philly, the man also known as the GOAT, Alex Avella. What's up, good people? What's going on, gentlemen? I feel like it's been forever since I've seen you. Why? I don't know. You guys have been so busy this week. We see you every Saturday. I know. It's not enough for me. That's that's a compliment. Do you want to take us to Disney? (laughs) Let me tell you something. Wait, 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 wait. I just, I figured this out. It's early, but I got it. This is Paul's like undercover way of telling us that he's tired of us skipping out on the meeting. (laughs) Probably. That's what this is. Undercover, I would just tell you. No, 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 no. This was well, your. You know, you know, before COVID, and you know, we stopped like visiting each other and stuff. Paul used to come here every Thursday night at six p.m. Yeah. So we actually had a physical meeting live, so we, we really couldn't get out of it because he would actually show up instead of, <laughs> instead, of, instead of just ignoring his phone calls. So. Um, <laughs> Great. Thank yeah, you. he would just actually just physically show up. So, um, and we would do our meeting, yeah, 45 minutes, an hour, maybe tops. And then he would sit at the bar and drink with the brewmeister for about an hour, hour and a half afterwards. And they would bond. We, we did bond. Yeah. I was I, just, I was more like, I was putting together information for my documentary on him. Someday. Did you really, did you really, maybe you bonded? I don't know that he is capable of like, yeah. um, you know, you know I don't, I don't I, know. I think he did bond with his roommate's dog. <laughs> he did. Yes, he fell in love. I think he did. I really do. I'll say this: I I have a way of getting things out of people. So yeah, I, you're I, nosy. You yeah, ask I push. rude questions. You ask, you cross the line all the time. I'm That's just fascinated. You what does that like, man do when he's home? You like, seem like I, he's kind of a yenta type, Paul. <laughs> I'm not a gossiper. Abe will be the first to tell you that if. If I what? say something to your face, I'll. If I say something to somebody else, I'll say it to your face. The Yenta, Paul Bracco. Paul always likes to scoop, man. He's got to know. I do. I'm. I'm a curious fellow, as they would say. When we had that. When we had that. Um, I oh, forgot. here we go. Yeah, I forgot what her name was. Erica. Erica. When we had Erica as a co-host, when we were trying to replace Lady M. Dude, like Paul being like, so when did you do your boob job? Who got? <laughs> Wait, hold on. That's not how it came up, though. Pretty much, though. Who no, no, no. We'll, that, listen, we'll be your ex-husband. Oh no! I'll pull the clip. But she you, said there was this guy that wouldn't leave her alone that kept stalking her. But then it turns out that 
This is the guy that drove her to the plastic surgeon every single time she needed to get a checkup. He took her to the surgery. He drove her home from the surgery. She showed him all the photos from the after stuff. And then he was obsessed with her. I'm like, well, what, what do you expect? You're, you're showing him naked photos of yourself. And kind of that's that to me is a hit here. Check out my boob job. Want to see it? Like they all she's that. complaining that the guy won't leave her alone. That. There's something about when when a woman first gets a boob job, it's like they're not even really hers. Yeah, yeah. Willing yeah. To just show yeah. them, you know, and but you know, after time passes, and that no, but when you get that that window of just got them, yeah, everybody can see. Yeah, I, when you girls, get, my wife, you know, women that got boob jobs, I purposely like to start hanging around. Yeah, you know, they eventually they don't want you to see them. They want you to see it, right? There you go. But Paul, you just cross the line. You get like intrigued, and then Paul just wants to go all the way down the rabbit hole with someone. Well, when we're on the air, there's really, you know, there's not that much of a. You do it in person. You do it in person. Not as much. You know, all the questions you used to ask Adam. What do you do when you wake up in the morning? Then what do you because do? What do you I'm have fascinated by that person. Yeah. I don't. I don't. He's not. He's he's socially uh, inept, and and I want to know like what what is his life like? He he's got some weird hobbies and some weird like um, uh, I don't know what the word is. Not traditions, but he he's got some compulsive behavior i'm just i'm just fascinated by that human being i don't know what i don't know what it is and i think other people would be too listen we have a filmmaker on the show with us today most maybe people, i can explain to him most people and, uh, most people didn't even realize he's off the show <laughs> what are you talking about 80 percent of our viewers didn't even realize there was a switch uh, now that well, we're gonna get all those comments but adam's gone i don't understand yeah i think i think Hey Alex, I think it's a cry for help. I think Paul misses him, Alex. He might. I think he it's might. He, I don't even know where he. I listen. I tried to get I'll together with this. him before he he's left. Not where he's supposed to be yet. That's for sure. I tell you he's where not, he is. He's at a bar. He's at the bar. He's at a bar somewhere. Could be. A, could be at Whole Foods. Could be, <laughs> could be his bedroom. Could be his bedroom. I, listen, I said to him, "Let me take you out to dinner before you before you do your thing, whatever you're doing." And and he's like, yeah, how about just, how about we meet at Whole Foods? And I was like, okay, sure. I, I never heard from him again. Tried two or three more times to get in touch with him. He just doesn't have that that skill to, like, communicate with human beings. His last it's day, fascinating. His last day of work, right? Oh, I, I heard. I bought, I bought lunch for everybody. He didn't want to have lunch with people. You know, for, <laughs> I bought him whatever he wanted for lunch that I bought for the shop. Did and he then, eat his sandwich, like, alone in a corner? Probably, and then he and then he snuck out. He didn't even want to tell anybody bye. Like he was like sneaking out the door. Yeah, he had to stop in the office for something. That's the only reason we called him. Yeah, I was like, oh, all right, see you later. Wow, that's that's see that's strange to me. He didn't like after how long did he work for you? Ten years? Because he's just a walking like computer, and nobody wrote the code for like emotion into his brain. <laughs> and it's just bonding, and just you know nobody. They skipped that, out on that part. That kind of sums it up, really. I never learned how to love. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're, you're, so you you're, guys, you're laughing, but that's kind of pretty much it. That's it. I don't okay. know. I think he just hasn't opened up to the right person. Maybe that's it. Let's just let's let's hope. You guys had a busy week this week, though. You had the, the Connoisseur Club reveals. You had. A lot, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff going on on, on Smoky and Social. I mean, do you get time to rest or? No, no, we don't. We just don't. Right. No. 
No, but who what fun is that? What fun is resting and doing nothing? That's not fun. The crazy there's, there's a lot of Facebook lives going on. Yesterday, what really got me, and I was going to be sarcastic to you, is when when Abe's assistant canceled the meeting while I was waiting in there for a half hour. <laughs> I see Abe Dababna. Honest Abe is live and smoking social. And I was like, that son of a bitch. He's got to open a package man. now. He can't Unboxing. take 15 minutes for me. I didn't I didn't even know what time the meeting was yesterday. So I didn't even know that was scheduled. And then they were waiting on that box from the day before because I hadn't come in on thir- uh, Thursday. Oh, okay. That was for AJ. That was really for AJ. It was actually some nice cigars that that one of our socialites had sent us. Uh, I was curious about a new brand, so I have to be careful being curious about a new brand because the guy like sent like a a bag full. Like it's got to be twenty cigars in that bag. Yeah, it looked like it was packed. Yeah. What I I what I do like is he he sent a Ziploc bag from one of our competitors and then put a big X X to the logo. So that was that was well done. Yes, that was well well done. done. Yes. I, was I mean, I guess at least he shipped it in a Ziploc bag. He didn't just throw them in the box. Well, I would hope not. We actually, I actually smoked one of those cigars yesterday. Did you smoke one, Alex? I did. Yeah, it was actually not bad. It was good. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad huh. at all. So, Paul, what's the plans this weekend? Disney, uh, bachelorette party, oh, baby God. shower. What's What you got going on? Come on. Uh, no, there, there's really nothing uh, because next weekend we have my second son's first birthday party. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this weekend we're kind of laying low. I'm, in my little house, we're going to have like six people sleeping over apparently for four days. I, I don't understand why that makes sense. But adults? Uh, uh, it'll be one, two, three adults and two children. So so five people, five sleeping other people. Over in your house? I know you've seen my house. It's very tiny. So are you guys like going to put like sleeping bags in the living room and like make a little circle? <laughs> I have a pullout. I have a pullout couch that has like a Tempur-Pedic mattress on it. It's like a real bed. And then I guess we're going to put the kids in, in the kids rooms. I have, you know, I only have three bedrooms here. Nobody's sleeping in my room. I'll tell you that. And then everybody wanted to bring their dogs as well. So I had to put yeah. a, a Nix on that. Sleep I was like, we're not, up. we're not going to have five dogs in a, in a, a 1500 square foot house. I was like, I'm, maybe when I'm we impressed. build a new house. Time out, time out. I'm in, I'm in, I gotta, I, I commend you. I, I, Paul finally put his foot down and drew the line. I, I am impressed. I did. No dogs. I did. The dogs, I, I, there, there's, got, there's gotta be more to it than that. What the if hell? I, what, why can't I, I be a man? He probably paid for Adobe you know daycare or something. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. real. Yeah. Something, look, see how sensitive he got when I said it? Tell the truth. There's more to it than that. No, there's really not. I swear to you. I almost I almost had to pay for a flight ticket for somebody that said they wouldn't drive without their dog, but I didn't. I got out of it somehow. But I was willing to. I mean, I'll, I was willing to pay the price. Really? It, I mean, flights are cheap now, so, you know, I, I don't really care. But, uh, no. L- listen, we got a great show today. I want to take this off of me because I'm sure my wife is watching and I'm going to hear about it. I didn't mention names. I didn't say who, right? That's so funny. Paul's already in defensive mode. Right. <laughs> you not mention any names, honey. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's smart. He gets, to, he gets to jump on it, you know. So we have a, a pretty exciting show today. Um, we uh, we have two extremely entertaining and fantastic guests that I can't wait to get to some of their stories. Uh, shall we go into our first guest, Abe? I mean, I'm excited about both our guests. You know, our first oh, guest. Oh, my God. My first guest was... Uh, 
incredible role, one of my favorite shows ever on television. And the other one's basically a, a legacy legend in our industry who every time I'm around him, I love talking to him because I learn new things. So it's going to be a yeah. good day. But yeah, let's get our first guest on. All right. So uh, you may know him as uh, Furio from The Sopranos. Today, Mr. Federico Castelluccio is here with us live on KMA Talk Radio from the hills of New Jersey. Federico, welcome to KMA Talk Radio. Oh, I think you're. I think you're muted, sir. I said uh, buongiorno a tutti. There <laughs> you go. Hey, uh, hey, Abe. I want to know what kind of. What are you smoking there? What, what is it? This was a gift uh, from a visit from Daniel Marshall. Daniel Marshall's been in this oh. business for a very, very long time. Makes some of the best humidors ever. And this cigar was for his thirty thirty eighth anniversary. That was made for him by Carlito Fuente. It's actually oh very wow, good. nice yeah. man, yes. really nice. Um, Is that the good. ones that come with with one gold wrapped? I have the box set. I, I I'm having. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to break it, but I actually got one of these from him. I got one of these from him the, the Saturday night he was here visiting, and then he mailed the box set. So I'm actually smoking the cigar that the single stick he offered me. But good very stuff, cool. I'm man. Fed man. So. <laughs> you, you're down here. You were just down here a couple of weeks ago. That's how we ended up accidentally getting in touch with you. You come back and forth a lot to Florida. Uh, yeah, you know, I used to, <clears throat> but uh, we came down uh, to strike a couple of deals because uh, we just started a company called Virtual Cons, as you can see here. Uh, so yeah, Virtual Cons, you know, uh, was born from uh, actually Sopranos Con. We, we in the 20th anniversary in uh, 2019. We, uh, a couple of uh, super fans, myself and uh, another friend of mine, got together and decided, you know, it's time to do a uh, convention. And we, you know, that weekend when, when we got everything done, we thought <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe a couple thousand people would show up. Well, you know, 15,000 or more showed up. That's amazing. And we, it was just unbelievable. So we saw that there was, there was a fan base, a major fan base still out there. And even a new fan base because there's there's kids that weren't able to watch it when they were young, and now they're in their twenties, <laughs> and so there's this whole new fan base of of young you know uh, Sopranos fans. So what happened was we uh, we were supposed to do another convention at uh, Harrah's in uh, Atlantic City and in Vegas, and uh, we got shut down by COVID like everybody else. And uh, so one of our partners said, "Hey." Why don't we do a you know 365 day a year convention you know where people fans from all over the world can reach out to us you know get uh, video shout outs uh, you know like personal meet and greets virtual meet and greets uh, you know selling merchandise you know we're gonna have like master classes I'll be I'll be doing a, a master class with Armand Asante who's one of our partners uh, Ice Tea is also one of our partners uh, Virtual Con is gonna be the future of like you know virtual conventions and so, it's a cool thing i think this is awesome because I, I think almost every industry in this country in the yeah. last year has had to find a way to pivot exactly so exactly we with, with with the our people our, our fans and stuff out there so this is just going to be an all-year kind of a convention but not that's right based you're going to no we're going in, we're moving <clears throat> we're moving into different areas you know uh in harris we were doing sopranos con and mob movie con and so now uh, we're also partnering up with uh, with Placencia. Uh, Placencia, we just uh, we went down to Miami 
uh, to meet with the uh, with the owners of Placencia, and uh, we're going down to Nicaragua. And there's going to be a, a beautiful, uh, well, more than one actually. There's going to be uh, a couple of celebrity cigars coming out, really, really good ones. Um, you know, I we that day, myself and Armand Asante, we smoked the uh, I think it was the Alma Fuerte. I don't yeah, know if you've had that one. Yeah, yet, great it's cigar. Just, yeah, it's just phenomenal, man. Yeah. <laughs> I had a burn on it this big. <laughs> it was incredible. But uh, yeah, so that that was really exciting. We're also partnering up with uh, with a hotel chain down there, and you know, basically, we're going to be giving you know the fans and people that that you know download the app and they can they can do everything through this app. Uh, you know, a chance to, uh, to, to get discounts on all kinds of stuff, you know. Will this be subscription based or will this be like free to the public? No, it's free. Uh, Right. You can download it now, virtualcons.com. You know, you can, you can go down on it and, uh, you know, and just, it's really nice and easy to, to navigate through. I've been doing like shout outs. I've, (laughs) and they're a lot of fun because I like to do them as the character as Furio, you know? So I just, you know, I make up all kinds of shit, you know, <laughs> you know, just give me a little information and I just make up all kinds of stuff. You, you know, we have you on and, and now that you actually said you like to do it, you know, I, I think it'd be cool if we could hear a little bit of Furio. I, I know we already had a couple of people comment today to hear the accent. You know, maybe, yeah. you could, maybe you could do a soundbite for us for KMA Talk Radio and uh, with a Furio sure. accent. Uh, you know, it was Furio, we Furio, you know, he's, he speaks like this, you know, it's, uh, you know, when, uh, Tony Soprano, he hired me, he brought me from Napoli, uh, you know, we come here and, uh, we, we talk on the, the podcast like you, like we, you guys over here, you know, so, uh, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, if you go, <laughs> it's a lot, to me, it's fun, you know, it's like, uh, people want to hear that, that character, so that's what I'm giving them on these, uh, shout outs, you know. But the funny thing is, uh, Federico is that, you know, I remember, listen, I was a huge Sopranos fan. I was in, I was in high school when it started and, and had a radio show. We used to do like our follow up, uh, every, every week about, you know, what happened on the Sopranos this past week. And, um, you weren't, there were many, many, many other actors that auditioned for the role. Correct. Yeah. And and then, and until the guy that wrote the role, it, it wasn't (laughs) David, it was one of the producers, Terry winter, Terrence winter. Yes. He said, he said when he saw you that that's what he pictured when he wrote the role of, of, of Furio. Yeah, 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 that's true. Actually, um, when I, uh, it was like my third audition, actually. No, my second audition. I auditioned for, uh, George Ann Watkins' office, uh, with Mary Clay Bowen, I believe her name was. And, you know, I remember her shutting the camera that day and saying, Federico, thank you so much. That was like a breath of fresh air. And I was like, (laughs) I guess that's good, you know. I walked out of there feeling pretty good. This is positive. Yeah, and so uh, my my agent calls me. Said, you know, that that evening he called and said, uh, look, they they want to read you. You know, the, the producers want to see you. Uh, so when I when I went to audition for producers and the director, uh, a uh, well, let me back up a little bit because there was a <laughs> there was a part. That I, ca- I I called up Aida Torturo. She was a friend of mine. I've known her for many years. Right? There was a, there, it's a small community once you get to a certain plateau in the in the uh, acting arena and theater arena. And so I called her up and I said, "Listen, you know, uh, I'm I'm reading for producers." She goes, "Federico, that's that's great, you know, but I have to tell you, it's one of the hardest rooms 
that I've ever <laughs> coldest rooms that I've ever read for. Wow. Oh, and great. So, uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, that's what I said, man. I'm like, oh, oh, great. But I, I told her, I said, listen, you know, there's a there's something in there that is a little it's there's some they know a lot about Italian Italians from from Italy. But there's something missing in there. I feel like I need to, you know, bring a little bit more of Italian. She says, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. <laughs> Long story short, I do the audition. But I'm feeling really good about it because, you know, uh, and then all of a sudden I, I do this ad lib at the end. And they're, they're like, okay, thank you. And then I was about to leave. And, uh, well, who I know now is David Chase. He was sitting on, there was a sort of a couch there and people sitting all around. And he says to me, um, he goes, hey, Federico, hold on a second. Uh, he goes, where are you from? I said, what do you mean? Do you mean like where I what, was I born? Where I? He goes, everything. So I said, well, I was born in Naples, Italy, and I, I grew up in New Jersey. <laughs> and that's exactly what the char- character is from Naples, Italy, and yeah. know, it comes to New Jersey. So he had, he had a nice little smile on his face. So I'm about to walk out again, and somebody stops me, and it's Terry Winter. And so Terry says, comes over to me, he says, hey, Federico, um, it's, I want to ask you, what did you say at the end? You know, that very last thing that you said in Italian. I said, oh, oh man, like Aida's head, Aida's words were just like coming to my, into my mind at that point. And I said, well, I don't know. Are we allowed to say yep. we're on this or no? Yes, you are. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. So I said, I said, you're lucky I didn't kill you, you fucking whore. And then I spit on her. <laughs> oh. And so... <laughs> and so he goes, all right, thank you. Thank you. And he walks away and I'm like, oh, shit, man. I was like, so I didn't hear anything for two and a half weeks. Oh, I'm wow. like, I was calling my agent. I'm like, I know, I know I aced that audition, man. I felt the room change. They were like, you know, at the edge of their seats, I was doing the fighting stuff and, and I didn't hear anything. So two and a half weeks later, I get a <laughs> call from Bob Barry, my agent. He says, Federico, they want to, uh, they want to read you what, James Gandolfini. I'm like, you kidding me? Really? Another audition? <laughs> I thought that was it. Anyway, so I go to the audition. I'm sitting outside and somebody comes in and they hand me new, like a, a new script, like new sides. Sides are, you know, what you audition with. It's the, basically the scenes that you're auditioning with. So I, I said, well, I, you know, in my mind, I'm saying I already know it. I, you know, I, I, I'm off book. I mean, I, I know right. this by heart, you know, so I made my choices and everything. She goes, well, there's a few changes in there. You might want to take a look at it. I said, really? Shit, changes. That's the last thing an actor wants to hear. Right. <laughs> last when you're going changes through. at an audition, right. yeah. Okay. So I look at it, and I, I'm reading all the way through. At the very end, in Italian, you're lucky I didn't kill you, you fucking whore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, this is good, man. <laughs> so anyway, I go in. I read. Everything goes as planned. I did everything exactly the same. That's what you should do if they if they're calling you back. So uh, I was just getting up to leave, and somebody comes over and says, "Federico, can you read this?" <laughs> and now it's a cold reading of a new, completely new script. And I'm like, "Oh shit!" I said, "Can you give me? Uh, can you give me like five minutes?" She goes, "Take your time. Go outside. You know, take it. Look. It said Naples, Italy. You know, my character Naples in on, in Naples, Italy." And um, it said there was the, mo- the majority of it was in Italian. I was like, oh, shit. So I made my choices. I translated every- everything in Italian. So I started working with Jim again, you know, and we were being taped. We were being filmed. And I remember Jim breaking character. I mean, he started laughing when I was doing the Napoli Don stuff, you know. 
<laughs> speaking with the accent. So it was really cool, man. And then I, I thought I was going to get the job right then and there. And so what happens is uh, they're like, thank you very much. Thank you, Federico. Thank you. I'm like, uh, I'm looking work. around. I'm like, what the fuck? What is going on here, man? Two and a half. I just gave you my away. soul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all, so, all talking from experience. Right. <laughs> well, here, <laughs> yeah, except I never got the job. I never got I the job. You know, uh, George Ann Walken was actually operating the camera that day. And she said, Federico, I was just about to walk out the door. She said, Federico, just go home, relax, have a, have a drink. We'll call you next week. I said, all right, thanks. Monday morning, I get a call, right? And the, the number, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, you don't know who it is. So I, I had a client in there. It was, a, there was somebody that was hiring me to do a painting and I'm a painter, you know? And so, oh. and so, uh, I, I answer the phone and they're like, uh, Federico. I said, yeah, said, uh, you know, just want to get your sizes. Just, uh, you know, what, what is your sleeve? And next I said, who is this? It's <laughs> like, it's like, uh, this is wardrobe. I said, Wardrobe. She's like, for what? What's, what is? What do you mean wardrobe? She goes from the Sopranos. I said, whoa! You, you, wait a minute. You want my sizes? <laughs> you mean like I got the job? <laughs> so I found out from the wardrobe department. Wow. The oh my god! Isn't that funny? Wow! Anyway, did you did you know what you were getting into? Of course. I mean, at that of point, it, it oh. had been a it had been a hit. Oh. It, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, the, after the first season, I think every actor in America wanted to be there, and probably. <laughs> international you know it's like it was it was sort of an international success and you know pretty much i mean from the first episode that i saw i was i was uh i said this is something really special i mean yeah the writing the acting number one and and also uh the music man it just tied everything in your emotions at the end you know yeah. it's beautifully done and uh and that was david chase and martin bruce lee that uh that that handled all the music on on the show no, the, the music, the music was fantastic, um, and it's funny you mentioned those those tie-ins to to creating the the whole piece, right? Because yep. you, you, a lot of people don't know this, but you're also a director. Uh, <laughs> you you're you're looking to direct a few films now, but there's a, a film on Amazon Prime now that you did. Why don't you tell us a little yep. bit about that? I had the you told me about it, and it's funny because I had seen it on there. And it was mm -hmm. in my queue to watch, but I hadn't watched it yet. So I figured I'd watch it before you came on today. Oh, cool, but, man. But Thank you. Let's let's talk about that that film so people can watch it and, and see your. Um, and you have a cameo in it too. I do. Yeah, yeah. With the big I, I noticed that. <laughs> uh, the, the film takes place in 1973 in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and uh, it actually started. Now, this is a very interesting thing because you know, as a you know, if there are any filmmakers out there, I think that they might find this. Uh, this information interesting um that film was born as a short film first like sling blade sling blade i don't know if you know that but Absolutely. it was actually a, sh a short film and then became a feature um the short film that i did was written by uh, uh, uh actually is an attorney by trade but he's really an artist he's a, he's a writer michael Rusigliano. uh michael wrote this film called lily of the feast and uh, uh i read it uh, I said, you know, let's let's shoot this. So I, I produced it, uh, directed and uh, played the lead in it. I played Santo, uh, the banker, because it's called we, we changed the title in the feature to the Brooklyn Banker. Right. So we which is the name to, of the of the long form film. Exactly. Uh, so with that short film, we put it in the film festival circuit and it literally won awards across the line. I mean, really, it was really cool. And Paul Servino 
reprises his role in the uh, in the feature film. Um, but uh, basically, the film revolves around a banker who's got this rare gift for mem- memorizing numbers, and he's like this this like brilliant guy. And so he's he's embroiled. He gets embroiled in a scheme from his father-in-law, which is played by Paul Servino. Uh, With the, the guys the, in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a neighborhood kind of film, but it takes place in, in, in the 70s. So this this kind of thing where all of the information is in your mind, especially with numbers, was invaluable to the mob back then, you know? And so basically this, this, um, bro- this father-in-law embroils his son-in-law in a scheme to steal money from the boss of the area. But there's a lot of twists and turns in it. And, uh, it's a, it's a really fun film. I'm, you know, I've got a special place in my heart because I've been directing a lot of shorts over the years and, uh, and, you know, written and directed commercials, but this was my first feature film. So, and, uh, I've got several features down the road that, uh, that I'll be directing as well. Nice. Yes. So great. Fans can check that out. So, yeah. We, 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 we got to meet you and, and, or contact you at least because, because you obviously are a cigar smoker. I want to tap into that. Yep. How, how, how did you get into cigars? <laughs> you want to, you want to really hear the, the real story? Absolutely. Oh man. Uh, back in 2001, uh, you know, after, after everything happened in New York, you know, uh, with 9-11, uh, Mayor Giuliani was leaving office and, there was a there was a big party for Giuliani. It was a big party for him, uh, and it was at one of the Hilton, I guess, the Hilton Hotel on Sixth Avenue. And so, uh, a lot of us from Sopranos were there. We were supporting him. He was, you know, did a great job during that time. And uh, I had done a couple of things in the inner circle with with uh, Rudolph with Rudy Giuliani. So he, we knew each other. So after the after this event was over, he came he came over made a beeline to me and said, Federico, why don't you come up and have a cigar with me and, and, you know, my friends. So I'm thinking, you know, he's inviting everybody up there. It's going to be a a second party or something. And I said, well, well, I said, uh, Mr. Mayor, I said, I have my, my two friends with me here. I said, one, one of them was my framer who frames my paintings. (laughs) And the other one uh, was, was sort of a wall street guy, you know, he's, uh, and you know, Donated a lot to uh, to Giuliani's campaign, so we, we went upstairs. I'm thinking it's going to be this big party. We're going there. It's him and his his wife to be, Judy, I believe her name was, and uh, and a United States admiral. I'm like, he goes, Federico, come on in, come on in. Here, have a cigar. He hands me a cigar. Never smoked a cigar before in my life. Wow. <laughs> and then my other friends didn't either. So we're all looking at each other, and the one guy goes, I think you got to cut the end. <laughs> So, <laughs> and so he, you know, he chops the end. We're all like smoking. We're like, I didn't even know how I was puffing it at the time. You know, it was like really ridiculous. But anyway, that, that was my intro to, uh, to smoking a cigar. But I actually That's found great. it quite relaxing, you know? And, uh, and over the years, we wound up doing, uh, you know, cigar aficionado shoots. And, you know, we got, I got a little bit more acclimated with cigars because of, of the show as well, you know? That was one of the most popular covers ever on uh, that man. Yeah, it was pretty cool, right? Yeah. We had this photographer that we thought was a little nutty, but, man, those photos, they came out great. It's it's funny because I always talk about how cigars bring people together. And so you're naming people, right? Mm-hmm. Armand Asante, who, who's actually right. sat, he, who sat in this room at least three or four times. 
That's Mayor cool. Giuliani, who's a good friend of our shops, has been here, here all the time. Yeah. Been in the Great Smoke, has sat in this office a couple times. That's the cool thing about the cigar community when you get involved, because no matter where you come from or what your background is, I always feel like it's a cohesive glue that makes everybody relate. Yeah. You know, almost yeah. instantly. You could be on vacation. You could be on vacation somewhere. Don't know anybody. Out on a mountain somewhere, and you can see a dude 100 yards away smoking a cigar, and your immediate urges. Yeah, let me walk up to that guy, see what he's smoking. <laughs> he's your buddy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Instant, he becomes your instant friend where, like, if you weren't smoking cigars, you're glad there's 100 yards between you and somebody else. So, yeah. You know, hey, uh, you know when we uh, when we did Sopranos Con, we uh, you know, came up with the idea of doing a, uh, a Sopranos Con cigar, you know, sort, sort of like a special edition cigar. And uh, I had, at the time, I met these people from Newark, uh, the Jimenez family, and the Jimenez cigars are really good. They're Cuban. They, uh, you know, the, the, the mother, uh, still, still rolls to this day. And she was rolling since she was 16 years old. And, wow. uh, yeah, so that was a really nice cigar too. Um, but lately I, like, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I, I really, I've been really digging the, uh, the Placencias. This, 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 this one right here. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, that's fuerte, man. Too. This is a beautiful, beautiful cigar. Look at this. You know, I'm very happy for them because your Placencia is, is, is... Where is it? it? Here. Ah, that, yeah. there it is. Placencia yeah. made phenomenal cigars for other people for so many years, you know, and for a long, nice. long time. And they had tried to break out with their own line. They had organic. That's right. That's right. Oh, a while yes. back, I'm talking about maybe 20 years ago, yep. never really had success with putting their family name on a brand, but would make successful cigars for all these other companies exactly, exactly and then this time around they really got either the packaging the branding everything right because the sticks are phenomenal and they've yeah. been great i mean they're very popular and they're doing very very well this time around so yeah we had them we had them on and they i had the opportunity to smoke a few that they brought oh when, that's cool uh, when they Which released ones the did branding you smoke? Uh, the every black, single the... line that they came out with the alma fuerte i've had yeah oh yeah that's a fantastic one man uh you know um you know, I, I I talked to them about doing. Well, I don't I don't want to say it right now because we're it's just in the beginning stages. But when this when we have this other cigar that I'm thinking of that I'm talking about right now, we would love to come on and uh, and talk about it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look, look. There was a there was a renaissance in the uh, late '90s. You know, on, on, on mm -hmm. the, it was like a renaissance where cigars were very Hollywood chic. That's you know? right, yeah. And, Schwarzenegger, and you know, every picture you saw yes, Schwarzenegger and, 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 and he, was, he had a cigar. And there was many, many actors who, you know, delved into coming out with their own brands. And for whatever reason, none of them really, you know, endured the test of time. Mm -hmm. But it's good to see a little bit of this renaissance come back around because that's where I'm starting to feel like, you know, is 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 um, part of Hollywood is kind of now kind of it's kind of happening a little bit again like it was before. Maybe not to yeah. the same level, but I'm starting to see it and hear it more often. Yeah, you know, I there's a place uh, called Casa de Monte Cristo, JR's, which is uh, right here in um, East Hanover, New Jersey, which is literally minutes away from me. So, um, uh, we, you know, I go there with my friends all the time, you know, have a couple of sticks, some, and they have actually pretty good food there, too. And, I, you know, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if you guys ever have been there. We've been to a few of the, the Casa stores. They're, they're all over the country, and, and, and what's funny is because you know, they converted a lot of the old JRs into the Casa Micros. Those mm -hmm. are our other guest today is actually Lou Rothman, the guy who founded JR Cigars. So fantastic, man. Yeah, that's it's, awesome. It's, it's a pretty cool show. We got a couple uh 
pretty legendary people on our show today. Um, so one other thing I want to mention. The, the oh, go guy, ahead, go ahead. Wait, wait. The guy down there, he's he talks too much. To, I, you know, he, he he doesn't shut up. What the hell's going on with this guy? <laughs> I can't even get a word in edgewise. <laughs> I like to listen sometimes. <laughs> well, listen, I'm the one who feels culturally deficient here. I'm the only non-Italian in the room. Uh, I mean, hey, hey, but the thing is, you look Paul Italian. Really count. That's true. He could pass. He could Listen. pass. Paul doesn't count. Paul doesn't count. Listen. Paul doesn't count. Paul Siciliano, Nablidan. Ah, parli italiano. Parli italiano. Very little. A bravo, poco, bravo. Poco. I, I always say I'm Italian by consumption. <laughs> That's a good one, man. That's yeah. a good one. That's a good I want to I want to mention before before we let uh, Federico go because we were talking a little bit about this yesterday in our in our pre-interview but he just finished filming a a movie called The Mick and the Trick That's directed right. by uh Tom Danucci and Peter Green's in it, uh Richard Klein, uh who else is John Fiore. So th- just tell us a little bit about that and and where people will be able to see it. Will they be able okay, to go it's to in, It's in post-production right now. I think uh rough assembly has been done as far as I heard. Tom Danucci is a wonderful director. Uh, I worked with him for the first time, but he sh- he shot a film called Vault, which did pretty well, um, and that that was shot up in uh, Rhode Island. Uh, Mick and the Trick uh, basically is a is a, a dark humor. There's a lot of dark humor underlying, but it's uh, it's about this this hitman Peter Green. Who uh, who's been doing these 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 murders, you know, for these these two families, a Cuban family, and uh, then there's an Irish Irish family, and so he's been sending all the money. He's been doing it as a mercenary. He's been sending all of the money to the IRA, <laughs> and so the IRA is not, they're not doing anything anymore. It's like, what the hell is the sense? He's going, I'm I'm out of this, you know. He's like, he wants he's he he tells them that he's going to get out, and so they're like, no, we want you to do another job. You got to do this last job for us, and so. That's where everything starts. You know, they decide this guy's not going to do it. They need, he knows too much. They're going to kill him. And he almost bites the dust. <laughs> I don't want to give away too much, but he almost bites the dust. And then this, this woman, you know, cause he falls off of a, of a building into this, into this, all this garbage and everything. And he kills the guy that was, anyway, so this woman, you see her, you know, her legs and everything from the point of view, uh, you know, of, of his, uh, his point of view. And, uh, she grabs him and brings him to this apartment. You find out that it's a transvestite. And this transvestite <laughs> helps him get through all of this, navigate through all of this stuff, you know. But it's, it's, there's a lot more involved. I play, uh, you know, a detective that's sort of like um, basically a dirty detective, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm hired as well in order to take him out. Dirty detective? Never. Never, you know, it's like, no, I'm dirty. I, you know, I have a lot of stuff on my face, you know, just like <laughs> mud and, you know. <laughs> is, it, is it true I heard when you were shooting, you had to take a COVID test every two days? Every two days, yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't get on. Listen, they, they were being very, very careful. Everybody had masks. Everybody, you know, from whoever was on the set. I mean, they, they took temperatures before you even got into the building. They were being very careful. And also because SAG, I mean, they, they, they enforced it heavily, you know. Right. You know, everybody was really serious about, you know, doing it safely and properly, you know. Well, that's good, actually. That's yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I, that, 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 is that out now? That show? No, it's in post-production right now. So oh. I'm sure it's probably towards the end of the year it's going to be out. But right now you can watch The Brooklyn Banker if you have Amazon Prime. It's, it's up Amazon. there. 
Yeah, I, I, I highly suggest it. I enjoyed it. And there's Thank you there's so a much. lot of there's a lot of things that Abe you'll like about it because there's little intricacies, especially in the beginning setup, that are the, it's the kind of thing that you like because you have to think about them. So I'm gonna actually watch it again so that mm-hmm. I can see the things that I missed from the beginning because the beginning has a lot of clues to the end and it, uh, it just it was well done. It was well shot, well done. It's, it's very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and yeah, a lot of people that have seen it more than one time say they, they really enjoyed it even more, actually. Which, so, part, uh, which part do you enjoy the most? Painting. I'm a painter. I studied. Yeah, okay, so that's I've, how seen it, that. I've seen that. Yeah. I, I, so now we have to ask when we got you on, but we asked, yeah. where did the inspiration from the painting come from? Who inspired you for that? Uh, it's uh, basically, it's an innate talent. Uh, it's in my family. It's in my blood. And, really? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been painting ever since I can remember, and I, I studied on full scholarship to the School of Visual Arts right out of high school. I won a, a scholarship for painting and media arts. I illustrated for a while. At, you know, uh, the illustration world was changing right around the time that uh, I guess it was the mid mid to late '80s where uh, computer graphics were really you know taking charge and you know coming in uh, and people a lot a lot more a lot of uh, designers and illustrators were moving towards that. And I saw the writing on the wall. I said, you know, that's not what I, that's not in my heart. I'm a painter. So I decided to get out of illustration and, and just start painting what I wanted to paint, which was a lot of portraits, still life paintings and, uh, landscape. I went to France one year. Uh, <laughs> there was a friend of mine, Jeffrey Holder. I don't know if you remember him. You guys remember Jeffrey Holder? Jeffrey Holder. Okay, I'll, I'll. You guys will probably remember this. He was the guy. The Seven Up commercials. Remember? Uh, uh, oh, oh yeah. Onion Cola. Oh, oh yeah, yeah like absolutely. Six foot five. Yeah. You know, Jamaican gentleman. guy. Jamaican. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. He was. He was from Trinidad. Trinidad. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, I met him because it was a collector buying one of my works, and he was buying one of his. And he says, "Would you like to meet him?" I said, "I never, never knew he was a painter." So we became fast friends. I curated a museum exhibition with me, him, and two other painters. Uh, and, you know, we, uh, and I don't know, I, I just lost my train of thought. I, why, why did I get on that? Why uh, did I get the painting and, 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 well, and, you know, what inspired you painting? You're talking about your school. And exactly. Then- so I, yeah, yeah. So uh, basically what I did was I just, uh, I just started painting what I wanted to paint and, uh, and then selling it through galleries and sometimes privately. So, you know, people would commission me to do, you know, uh, different portraits and things like that. I do very few commissions now unless I really, you know, really like the commission. I just like to paint what I like to paint. And so it's usually still life. And portraits are because I paint from life. You know, I basically set up a still life. I light it and then I just go to town painting. And uh, when, when it comes to working on portraits, I like to work from life. And my, with my schedule and people's others, you know, it's, it's very hard. difficult to, for, for people to sit. So, uh, so, and I, I hate working for photographs, you know, like doing paintings from photo, photographs. Hold on a second. No, oh, that's all right. So, <laughs> sorry. I, I don't know if this is an improper question to ask, but I'm just curious. And if it is, you could tell me, but no, you know, what's, what's the most one of your pieces is ever sold for? Um, close to a couple hundred thousand. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, we just we just went to see it. Uh, we I was down in in Boca. That's that's where it is. Actually, the painting is in the oh, public nice. wow. public space in Boca Raton uh, Regional Hospital. 
And um, it is, uh, it's a large painting of three women on a beach. And there's a little boy drawing a heart in the sand. It was a commission from uh, Christine E. Lynn uh, back in 2006. And I brought uh, Paul Servino into the fray, and he created a sculpture uh, that sort of went in tandem with this painting. Uh, they're, they're separated now because we just, I went there with, uh, with, with, uh, Armand Asante and his wife and two of my friends. And, uh, we went to go, it was a little, it was where they originally put it. They moved it to another place. It was, that was a temporary place. So that's the only hospital that I knew it was in. And then they moved it to, uh, I think it's the women's cancer center or something like that. So Paul Servino does sculpting. He does. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, very multifaceted guy, you know, music. Wow. He sings opera. Brilliant guy. And here, here I just thought he could slice garlic with a razor blade. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not, it's not that easy to do. I'll tell you. Right, it's, not, right. it's not, it's not. Wow. What a story. Now I have to ask, cause there's so many questions going on on the screen. I, it's very hard for me to keep up, but yeah, man, I, they, they, they want to know who, who, which cast members from the Sopranos were you the closest with? See, I knew a lot of, uh, well, I mean, working with or outside of the, I mean, we were all very close, I have to say. I mean, it was, uh, you know. All right, who's, who's, the most fun, who's the most fun to work with then? <laughs> Tony Sirico, definitely, man. I, I could guess it. I could Tony, guess it. Tony was like a fucking, I don't <laughs> I mean, literally, the things that would come out of his mouth, even off, off screen. I mean, you know, just like when we were standing around, you just shake your head and just crack up laughing, man. <laughs> He's, but, uh, he's one of those characters that as, as, as a, a viewer at home and you watch, yeah. you almost say to yourself, he's not really acting, is he? Right, right. <laughs> you right. know, you know, he was, there were, the, yeah, yeah, the, largely, I mean, that's what you saw was what you got. That's what I'm saying. He, he, yeah, sure, but you see a character and you just feel like, he, can, I, can I tell you something about, about Tony Sirico? I thought he was brilliant. I thought what he did was, he really modeled himself and he'll tell you himself. I mean, he modeled himself after, um, you know, like those actors from the forties, you know, forties and fifties, actually, yeah, some thirties, forties, that, 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 that type of thing. And, uh, you know, if you look at the way he stands with his, with his hands like this and he's like, he's, his, his legs are a little bit apart and he's got right. this, this, that is from James Cagney. He got that from James Cagney and he wow. loved Cagney's work. And you'll see that, you know, that, that's that posture in his, in his work. And, uh, but you know, that whole thing with the white, I mean, he, he developed that because, you know, obviously he had white hair, but he, he colored the rest of it black. He, he did the, he did his hair himself too. He did his hair. You couldn't get anywhere near his hair. (laughs) And then he would (laughs) complain about wardrobe that would touch his hair, right? Don't touch the hair. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he was definitely, definitely a great character, man, on and off screen. I, those are usually, as far as when I'm watching, whether it be a series or something, those are usually the characters you fall in love with because you just don't feel you just feel like that's them, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things I liked about Eastwood. You know, when you watch an Eastwood movie or some of these movies, you feel like, you know, that's just kind of Clint. You know, you feel like that's really him. Yeah, know? right, right. Hey, uh, can I tell you a quick Clint story or no? Yeah, one of my time? favorite actors. Yes. Okay, me here. too. Me too. I, I was very inspired by Clint Eastwood uh, growing up. You know, watching all the all the, the westerns that he did. Oh. You know, we we call them spaghetti westerns, but you know, and right, a lot right. of those a lot of those actors were were all Italian. I mean, they were speaking Italian, and then they dubbed 
the, yep. you know, the English words over That's there. That's why they called them the spaghetti westerns. Exactly. So, uh, but they were all brilliant faces and stuff. I mean, you know, Leone, Sergio Leone, man, he was like, guy was brilliant just for, you know, picking out these characters. So I was in Rancho Mirage with uh, the, you know, I'll drop a couple names, you know, it's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in Rancho Mirage with, um, with the manager of the band Chicago. So, you know, he had a place out there. I was staying out there. Uh, and he says, let's go to dinner. It's this great Italian restaurant, the best in Rancho Mirage. So I said, yeah, okay, cool. We'll go there. And as we, we you know, parked, you know, we get the, get out of the car, walking, and there's the, the windows are all, it's like, uh, it's all windows. You know, you can see everybody in the place. And it was packed. All of a sudden, I, I, I said to Peter Chivarelli, his name was, I said, Peter, I said, what the? I look at that, man. That, that's, I think that's Clint Eastwood. He goes, where? He's like, there's so many people in there. It's like, we go in there and the major D comes over. He goes, Mr. Castelluccio, how are you? It's a pleasure to have you in our restaurant. I said, excuse me. He said, is that, is that, um, Clint Eastwood over there? He said, oh, yes, sir. That is Mr. Eastwood. I said, here, give him the card. <laughs> I said, pay for him and his two friends. So when the bill came, the, the guy goes, no, uh, you know, Mr. Soprano over there, you could pay for it. So, I, you know, it was really nice because he came over and uh, one of the one of the guys knew my friend's wife. You know, they they their wives knew each other, so they started talking. Pete started talking to the other guy, and I was left there with uh, with Clint Eastwood. Wow! And I, I was like, Clint, yeah, he said, Mr. Eastwood. I said, uh, you know, I, you know, you gave me so much inspiration over the years. I used to watch you, you know, in the westerns and. Dirty Harry. I mean, I love Dirty Harry. I, I know that, that, you know, thing by heart, the one, uh, anyway, so <laughs> I'm, I'm skipping all over the place because I was really excited to meet him. And, uh, he, you know, he thanked me for, for, uh, for taking care of the check. And then he said, you know, all my friends watch the Sopranos. He goes, I've never watched it. Sorry to say, but I just got it. He says, I just got the, the, the box set for Christmas. <laughs> so he goes, <laughs> I plan to watch it. So cut to a few years later, we're at the Screen Actors Guild. He's getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. Wow. And at the time, I was dating a girl that was on, uh, an actress that was on uh, The Sopranos. And she knew the whole story. And she goes, there he is. You know, it was at the end where everybody's going to go to have dinner and stuff. And she goes, he's just standing there. Just go over there. And, and t-. I said, no, he's forget it. That's two years. He's, he'll never remember me. That's it. He's never so she pushes me towards him. <laughs> and so he turns around and I said, uh, Mr. Eastwood, uh, you know, uh, first of all, congratulations. Uh, a couple of years ago, you know, I was in Rancho Mirage at this restaurant. He goes, I owe you a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, man. <laughs> that was it. That was really cool. But uh, wow. it, was, it was nice that he remembered, you know. Well, That's listen- amazing. Listen, Fred, I hope you come back on the show. Keep us posted sure. with all the cool stuff you'll be doing with virtual cons and, and Thank you. your other projects. And, and please, next time you're in town, come by, visit us. That's we'll I will. Cigar. We'll Absolutely. have a cigar. We'll, we'll be back and forth. You know, we're going to be doing some stuff with Placencia, like I said. So, Great. you know, we'd love to come into the studio and do something there as well. Awesome. And please uh, keep, 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 keep us posted. We'd love to keep all our fans and all of the guys who uh, are cigar lovers out there. Just keep in touch and see, keep up with the good things that you're doing. Thanks, Abe. You got it, man. Paul, thank you. And what is, what is his name? Alex. 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 Al- what is it? Alan? 
Alex. 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 Good to meet you. And next time, if you say another word, that's I it. apologize. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Hey, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for and coming. Virtual on. cons. Virtual cons. All right. Just you, you can download the app right now. You can find yeah, the app in absolutely. the app store. Or you have to go to the website. Virtualcons.com. It's going to be in the app store, I believe. Uh, I think Apple is putting it up. But, yeah, definitely. You can go online right now yeah, and download it as well. Virtualcons.com. Thanks, guys. Hey, awesome. Thank you. All, right, All right. Coming up in hour so. two, we got Lou Rothman, Tail of the Tape, and Who Belongs in a Cigar Asylum. Stick around. Keep it lit. Hold on. I wasn't ready. I was cute. Okay, now I'm ready. Oh, come on. Yeah, I, I, I'm going. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat even if you do not inhale. Celebrating 85 years of success, the Monte Cristo 1935 anniversary is a tribute to the outstanding accomplishments Monte Cristo has achieved since the brand's inception. This cigar comes from the creative minds of Rafael Nadal, AJ Fernandez, and the Grupo de Maestros. It is a full-body Nicaraguan puro that pays homage to the original tobaccos used in the very first Monte Cristo cigar. Flavor notes you'll detect while smoking are pepper, cedar, and chocolate, all of which pair perfectly with a cappuccino. No matter what four sizes you pick, this classic smoke will send you on a trip down memory lane and all the way back to 1935. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat, even if you do not inhale. Ferio Tego. Hold on, I gotta get the ascot. Ferio Tego. Oh, sorry. I'm just uh, auditioning or about to audition for my new job. But uh, I wanted to tell you about Bonner Private Wines, and well, that's what I'm sipping on right now to ease the uh, little bit of jitters I have. I was trying to get the Michael Herklotz look going here. I got the Ascot, and well, while I'm doing it, I want to sip some of our friends at Bonner Private Wines Select Wine, and you can do that too. It's real simple. All you have to do is go to kmawines.com. Now, Bonner Private Wines has selections from all over Argentina, and uh, one of them is from the third highest vineyard in the world. It's called Sunal. It's from 8,950 feet. There's no additives to their wine that will add weird aftertaste that will give you, uh, you know, headaches the next day. It's just a really good, solid red wine that you should really check out. So uh, KMAWines.com is offering you, KMA listeners, a real great discount so you can enjoy this wonderful wine. Just go there. They'll give you a discount on shipping and a discount on a three-bottle pack. It's something that we've all been enjoying and that I'm enjoying now while I get ready to uh, do a Skype interview with an unknown brand. Of course, I, I don't want to talk about who it is. So uh, with that, check out BonnerPrivateWines.com. I'll send it back to you, Abe, while I uh, just uh, you know practice a little bit and finish this. I guess that wasn't a pre-recorded one. He eventually will do a pre-recorded one, but heck of a first hour there. What a great guest. Right? I mean, we, we couldn't, we didn't know we were going to have him until the last second. So, um, you know, that's kind of how it is with a lot of these guys, but, uh, I think it was a pretty cool and a lot of great stories. We hope our fans and the listeners out there enjoyed that segment. Yeah. So, so was that not pre-recorded? No. And I'll tell you, really not pre-recorded. <laughs> I was I was having I've been having issues with my computer. So last night when we were going to pre-record it, it didn't work. But I will have a pre-recorded one for the next time I'm not on the show. You could do it uh, with your phone. No, because I don't like the way it looks. I tried it. It's it comes up to even if you do it landscape, the it's a weird format. 
So I'm going to do it with. If you do it with, early enough, you could send it to Brian to edit it down. I guess I could do that. I was just going to do it with this program that it's, we use. The best we can afford. But let's not waste any more time since we have another yeah. epic guest today. Let's get right into our Meet Your Maker. We'll get right into it. Here we go. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. It's time to meet your maker. Wow. A man that, a man that really needs no inter- introduction uh uh, one of our, one of a, one of the great legends in our industry, Mr. Lou Rothman. Lou, welcome to KMA. Thank you. I, I'm not too happy about being a legend because the prerequisite is either to be old or dead. <laughs> it's a valid point. It's a valid. I'll take. Point. I'll take it away. <laughs> yeah. No more legend stuff. <laughs> so Lou, that I have. To, that was an I interesting know. guy. That. Oh yeah, Castelluccio. Well, he was interesting. You know what's interesting because when as as a as a person who watches shows and you know if you really don't deep dive, you know you see this character who's playing obviously an enforcer, a mafia enforcer, and you never really stop to really think about a guy. Now you find out the guy's a painter. He's selling paintings. He's uh, directing. He's doing commercials. I mean, it's, it's kind of nice to actually get to meet somebody intimately like that that you watched on TV for almost a decade. Yeah, when when we did the Cigar Magazine, we had a couple of them guys uh, that we did stories on, so I got to meet the, the guy, Frank Vincent. I don't know if you remember the episode, but when they caught up to him, they put his head under the wheel of a car and drove over his head. Frankie Vincent. And then the other one was the guy who played Big Pussy, uh, Vinny Pastori. Yep. This Frank Vincent guy, when he came, they were going to, you know, they had to take pictures of him for the magazine. And uh, he sat down at this table in our conference room, and he unrolled this leather thing. It was like a whole kit of hair, hair brushes and combs and whatnot. And he was combing his hair for like 20 minutes before he would let us take a picture of him. <laughs> Now, now, Lou, we talked a little bit with Fed about the Renaissance in the cigar industry, and you know, you you were around during that time when there was a lot of actors, George Hamilton, and a couple of the other guys you mentioned, where all these actors kind of got into making a brand or having their name or image used for a brand. None of those brands really ever endured the test of time or really sustained. Any opinions on why you think that is? Because they were all shit cigars. That's why you gotta love having Lou on the show. At, at at the time, at the time of what you call the cigar boom, uh, you know, it takes three years to get to really get tobacco ready to make a cigar, and because because the industry expanded so fast, uh, you got we got to a point where there was no three year old tobacco to use, and they started bringing in tobaccos from Indonesia called Basuki which was really shit, but you could make a cigar out of it. And uh, so uh, the whole, unfortunately, at the time when when new people were getting into the industry, not new makers, but new smokers, right? the cigars were not good. In other words, at the, at the, at the best time when we could make new 
new users in the industry, we were putting out substandard products. Right. And they didn't know any better. Well, I had no choice. I mean, uh, all sorts of people were coming down to Honduras and Nicaragua, guys who were dentists, doctors, any people thought they could make some money by going down there and buying cigars at any price and then, you know, making some some off the wall what we call Don Nobody brands. <laughs> Don Nobody. That's a great yeah. line. Hashtag Don Nobody. Yeah, so, so they were, they were selling essentially crap and you know like some of the importers uh, were bringing in just anything they could find some of the manufacturers were making cigars with anything they could find i saw cigars being made with tobacco that had blue mold oh gosh well but they you know they needed to use anything they could get a hold of and and blends blends would be changed and wrappers would be changed for the same lines at that time right yeah, and some of the people that you know best would change their cigars every week. But uh, a lot of cigars were being made with what we call capadura. You know what capadura is? No, Lou, tell us. Well, after after you prime the plant, you know, it's about seven primings where you take off the leaves as they're mature. And then the stalk will grow these little pieces that are two, three, four inches long. Oh, okay. And... And that was actually being harvested and used. They were making cigars out of Capadura, which prior to that, we used to just plow the thing underground to increase the nitrogen content of the soil. So it was, used, it was used as fertilizer, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, right, to enrich the soil, correct. Wow. And, and the, the top leaves, which were called uh, Lajero, you know, the very powerful yes. tobaccos that are on the top leaves. Before the cigar boom, nobody used that stuff. Nobody used Lajero. It was all sold to people that made chewing tobacco. Because oh, wow. For its nicotine content. But then as, the, you know, then you started having these people that wanted stronger and stronger and stronger cigars. And that's when the use of Lajero started coming into the cigar business. Prior to that, you used to advertise cigars as being fresh, factory fresh, and mild. No more mild. Now now it's like power. Right. Well, I mean, listen, it's, it's always funny because this is kind of a conversation I have with patrons in the shop all the time, right? The Connecticut mild cigars are still the number one selling cigars across the board. And people don't realize that because they're the cigars nobody talks about. So... You know, they're, they're, they're consumed the most. Statistically, they sell the most. But it's just the non-exciting cigars. It's like I compare it like to sweet and sour chicken in a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, like that cigar you have, Affinity. I mean, that's, that's, that's a fairly nice, mild cigar. It's a great cigar. And it sells, yeah. it sells like phenomenally. But no one even talks about Affinity or whatever. Because, it's like I said, it's like the sweet and sour chicken of a Chinese restaurant. Right. Nobody ever says they make great sweet and sour chicken. It's the... The dish that's served in every Chinese restaurant in the country. It's like the common core dish. Right. So I mean, uh, Right now you see all these cigars where they say uh, only a thousand boxes of 10 cigars are being made. Well, now you're talking about 10,000 cigars. It's, that, that doesn't even keep a good factory going for an hour. So that's all <laughs> bullshit. 
you know, a bulk of tobacco. You're talking about a couple of tons of tobacco. I mean, it makes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cigars. So when they say they have, you know, they're using these tobaccos, they say, that's all crap. So what do you say, Lou? It's, 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 it's sensualized? Uh, no, I'm, they're just putting more names on the same stuff. I mean, listen, uh, you know, I, I was a master at putting more names on the same stuff. I had 89 brands out there at one time. <laughs> Now, one of the, one of the, one of the one of the your creations that still exists today um, was JR Alternatives. Yeah, JR Alternatives. Excalibur, I made that. Ray Del Mundo, I made that. Uh, so you, took, you 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 went and you marketed you marketed regular line production lines that were good sellers, and you made your company's alternative version of that. Yeah, well, when we started. When we started, they really weren't alternatives. They were the same cigars. You know, I would go to, you know, somebody like General Cigar and say, uh, you know, I want a six and a half forty two cigar, which was the Macanudo Rothschild, you know, and and I want two hundred and fifty thousand, and I'm in bundles of twenty, you know, and I would buy them at, at a not significantly, not substantial, incredibly lower price, incredibly lower. Because that's what a factory needs. What they need is orders where they know everything that they're making is being sold, not to make it and try to sell it. It's better to have it sold and then make it. Uh, true. Absolutely. True. So, 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 so basically, the, you were saying that the J. alternatives weren't really alternatives in the beginning. They were actually that cigar. Yeah, every brand was, you know... The, the alternatives to Fuente were made by Fuente. The alternatives to Macanoodle were made by Macanoodle, by General Cigar. The alternatives to Don Diego were made by con what was then Consolidated Cigar. Yeah, they were all the real thing. The Hoyos were Hoyos, the Punches were Punches. Every size that existed in Punch or Hoyo had an alternative that was Punch or Hoyo. It was just cheaper. Wow. And then a lot of the cigars were the same cigars. We had a number called NN77. It was made by Arturo Fuente. And that was basically half the production of their entire factory. And we must have made like 50 different alternatives out of the same cigar. Anything, what we did was we tried to match up the wrapper, the binder, and the filler to what the real brand was. Uh, so... After the cigars were no longer the same cigars, they still were cigars with the same content. Today, I don't, I, you know, I, I've been out of the, I've been out of JR for a while, so I, I can't say what they make. So, Lou, I got to ask because you know I, I've, I've had the honor of, of knowing you and being friends with you now for for many years. So, you're 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 here now after many years of retirement, and you, and, and basically, correct me if I'm wrong, you're basically telling people out there that you kind of misled them in your in, in your career about what they were smoking i never misled anybody so they just weren't really alternatives i guess that's what you're saying when i said this I, I said that they're smoking a macanudo rothschild for whatever you know right for whatever it was at the time 75 cents at the beginning or 70 cents at they the were beginning. 75 cents at the beginning holy cow I sold them. They were sixty-five cents, also. Wow. 
you know, they kept going up in price. Well, like a Questor A95. I don't know what it costs. What does what it sell for now? Five or six dollars? Well, more than that, probably. Well, we used to sell a box of 50 for twelve ninety five. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. wow. So, I mean, <laughs> the increase in prices is, is just, it's staggering, staggering. Well, listen, I was in the cigarette business, too. You know, I remember I used to sell cartons of cigarettes at Billboard's on the highway, you know, $5.99, $6.99 for a carton. Now, if I wow. go into, I, I smoke True Blue. This is $115 a carton now. In New York? No, this is in Florida. In New York, it's about $145. For a carton? That's how much cartons are? Wow. Yeah, yeah New York, yeah. $15 a pack, $15 uh, a pack. Yeah, and I used to buy, you know, like uh, almost 10 cartons for the price of one card. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the same with cars? You ever think like a Jeep could be $100,000? They have right, a new Jeep right. out, Grand Wagoneer. It's $100,000 for a Jeep. For a Jeep. Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. So, Lou, you, 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 you come down here six months a year. You visit. How, how, how was 2020 for you? I mean, how you were, you were stuck in New York for a long time. Um, how, how did you cope with that? Well, one of the things I actually did is I made a cigar museum. With, you know, I have like, something happened with the sound just now. Am I we, on? I think it's. Yeah, you're on. I think it's better now. I heard a little warble. Yeah, so yeah, I had nothing to do, and I had cases, hundreds of cases of cigars, boxes that that I collected because I'm a cigar historian, and they were all just stacked up in my carriage house. And I decided, you know, fuck it, I'll unpack all this stuff and put it out. And I I made what is essentially a cigar museum, of course. It's a museum that nobody can see because of COVID. But I think after the, you know, after the, after everybody has the vaccine and whatnot, you know, I, and I get on this internet thing periodically called, uh, well, now it's called Cigar Billboard. It used to be called Herfer's Paradigm. And I might invite some of those guys if they live in the New Jersey area. I, I, I've seen the pictures, Lou. Maybe one day we'll come up and just, do a video of the room. It's an amazing room. He's got like eras of stuff. Uh, and it's it's big. How many square feet is it? Uh about two thousand square feet. That's big. Wow. That's big. I That's actually today I was gonna I was gonna come on the show smoking these small cigars called Kahoo. C A H O O. they're about a hundred years old, but I couldn't find the box. It's it's in my my bedroom is all the walls align with cigar boxes too. <laughs> it is. So, what, what is a hundred-year-old cigar? Is there is there flavor left in it? They're fantastic. Really? We're talking about handmade, you know, perfectos and obsequio cigars that sold for like six cents, five cents. Right. Uh, this Kahoo cigar, I, I I wanted to bring it on because the writing on the box. It's suggesting that it cures coughs. You don't cough if you smoke. <laughs> wow. You know, they used That's to be funny. able, you know, these are like snake oil salesmen. They used right. to be yeah. able to say anything that they wanted. So, uh, 
Yeah, but well, I doctors have... used to tell you to smoke sometimes when you were having uh, throat issues. Smoke, smoke some cigarettes. It'll it'll help ease your throat. Oh yeah, yeah. There were a lot of yeah. Ronald Reagan used to do a lot of those ads. John Wayne, yeah. and whatever. So my friend and the guy who used to buy all my uh, mass market tobacco stuff, uh, Ed McVeigh, he came over our my carriage house uh, when I was back in New Jersey, and. We were smoking some six cent cigars that were incredible, and and I said to him, "These are expensive. Because look at these; these are three for a nickel." <laughs> three for a nickel. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> hey, when I I remember when I was a kid, my father had you know like an open window luncheonette to the street in Brooklyn, right where that guy Castelluccio. I mean, Murder Incorporated was on our block. This is Amboy yeah. Street in Brooklyn. So, uh, my father had an open window store there, uh, you know, the luncheonette, but we also sold cigars. And the most expensive cigar we had was the La Corona Corona. They were 35 cents, three for a dollar. And the, wow. store was, the store was always busy. And I'm telling you for a fact, if a guy came in and said to me he wants three La Corona Corona cigars, even though the store was busy and noisy, there would be dead silence in the store. Like, who the hell is spending a dollar for three cigars? You know, <laughs> wow. in those, well, in those days, there were people, you know, a great job was construction at $3 an hour. You know, so I'm talking to just a whole different thing. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I, I, you know, Lou, Lou's been on our show multiple times over the years, and one of my favorite stories that you've told us, Lou, um, and and our, our listeners and our reach is a lot bigger today over the 10 years. So many of our listeners probably haven't heard it. Um, but one of my favorite stories is the story that you tell us of how you pioneered being, the I think, the first guy to make a catalog in the cigar industry. Well, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was you know, I, I learned everything by uh, adversity, so to speak. Uh, I had put an ad. A guy came into our store. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name now. Lavanda would know it because she wrote the first order. Oh, John Reed. He was from Austin, Texas. And he bought a box of cigars from what's called Valencia Corona Grams. It was made by Simon Camacho. It was a 35-cent cigar. And he bought a box of them. I think it was like six ninety-five. Our store was 14 feet wide and 31 feet long, about the size of my bathroom here. Wow. <laughs> but I had a, I had a, I put up a sign that covered the entire window. It was made out of a bed sheet. I just wrote on it with a magic marker. It said, world's largest cigar store. <laughs> and so the guy buys this box of cigars, and then he asks us, you know, can we mail to him? And I said to him, yeah, of course. You don't, you don't think we can make a living in this, this tiny place, do you? Our biggest, you know, our main business is mail order. Well, we had never mail ordered anything. <laughs> but, but a day or two before that, somebody had, they were doing construction on 6th Avenue, and somebody had taken a cinder block and thrown it through our front door. It was made out of glass. And they busted open the stamp machine. This is the days when they used to put like 22 cents worth of stamps on a little cardboard thing. 
and you put a quarter in the machine and you got 22 cent stamps or 22 cents worth of stamps on it. Right. Anyway, the guy broke open the machine, whoever broke our door. He stole all the coins and he left all the stamps all over the floor. And my wife said to me, what are we going to do with all these stamps? I said, let's go in the mail with a business. That's how it started. Yep. Now, so, wow. Wait, you, you, you made your first catalog. Right. Yeah, well, then it's then, then that gave me the idea. Why don't I put an ad in the New York Times? I'm gonna take the ten best-selling cigars that we have, which at the time were Don Diego Lonsdale, you know, Monte Cruz Number Two Twenty. It was, it was all these Lonsdale-sized cigars, which were the big thing at the time. And so I'm just gonna put them all in there at cost in this ad, and. Uh, and run an ad in the in the New York Times. I think the ad was like twenty two dollars, something something like that. Any rate, and it's wow. in the in the ad I wrote catalog on request, but we didn't have a catalog, so we got over seven hundred responses to the ad. So then I I had to make a catalog. So there was a place called Lafayette Radio, two doors down the street, and this guy Marty that I knew. Uh, I went in there and asked him if I could borrow a typewriter, and and I started typing a catalog, you know, just on typewriter paper, leaving space for pictures of cigars, which I didn't know anything about making a catalog, so I just took the real cigars and glued them to the page in the spaces that I left. And then I brought them to this guy, Norman, diagonally across the street from us, who was one of these quick printing places. And he just laughed at me. He said, um, this is not how you do it. You need photos of the cigars. So then I took all the stuff back. I took all the cigars off the page. And I walked down to Broadway, which was a block away. And it was a place that did passport pictures. And I brought the cigars in there. And I asked this guy who normally does passports to take pictures of them. <laughs> which, which he did. So then I took the cigars and uh, cut them out, and I pasted them in the spots on the thing, and I brought it back to Norman. And then he said to me, you don't do it this way. In order to print, the cigars have to be screened, 65 dots to the inch. But I, I didn't really have any way to do that, so I told him, just do it. And so he, my catalog, the first one we made was, these, they were just pitch black images cigars in the right size and all and and because marty needed a typewriter back i did the rest of the thing just printing the stuff by hand wow and then me and Movanda put them into envelopes and we walked all over the city just putting like five or six catalogs in each in each mailbox because we thought if we put them all in one mailbox maybe the mailman might throw them away but at any rate, that that's how it started. And, wow! Uh, and 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 we got it. And 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 then uh, the people who got these catalogs would then have to call you to place their orders. Yeah, yeah. One of the calls was incredible. This guy gets on the phone. Hang on a moment. Love it. <laughs> so I get this call in the store. This guy gets on the phone. He says to me, "Stand by." You have a call from the Commander-in-Chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Armed Forces 
of the United States of America. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, I think you got the wrong number. This is this is a cigar store. <laughs> and he said, no. And, and then he repeated the whole thing. And it was, then he put me on the phone with the guy who's the commander in chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I forget. Oh, my God. I think his name was DC or something like that. And he ordered four boxes of Royal Jamaica Director Number Ones, which was pretty expensive cigar at the time, maybe like 80 cents. You know, it was even more expensive than a Monte Cruz. I find it amazing that every time you tell me these stories, Lou doesn't hesitate to tell you exactly what that person bought. Yeah. Every time. You know, when I, when I opened my first big store in North Carolina, which was like 200 and something thousand square feet. Was that in Burlington? No, that was in Selma, North Carolina, on I-95. So the very first person that comes in the door after we built this place, I recognized the guy. And I immediately went to the back, and I got a box of Huey de Monterey double coronas, and I put it on the counter. And the people that worked for me were absolutely staggered that I would know already what the first guy that ever entered the store wants. But he wow. was, a regular, was a regular customer. I remember giving him a, a free cigar, you know, for my for my for my daughter's birth, because when she was born, I printed up. We didn't know if it was going to be a girl or a boy. That was before they did all these tests. So I I made up like five thousand Banshee's palms with the name of the boy and the name of the girl on it. And so. And, and What'd I, you do with the ones with the boy with the boy's name? You, you no, just... we sold we sold them. <laughs> of course he did. So <laughs> But anyway, the people in the store wanted flabbergasted. How do I know what this guy wants before he even gets in the door? But he was a regular customer. I, I'm I'm honestly flabbergasted because every time you tell me a story like this, you remember exactly what they bought. I, mean, I used to I used to know what everybody wanted. You know, because I when I was the I don't anymore, but I used to have nearly a photographic memory. In fact, when I, in the college I went to, which went out of business and changed its name, uh, years after after I graduated from there, it was called Kansas State Teachers College. Today it's called Emporia State something or other. It's part of the Kansas State University college system. So... Uh, Years after I graduated from there, we went back to Kansas, where my wife comes from, and I, and I went there just for the hell of it, to see if any of the teachers I knew, you know, were still there. And in the in the social science department, they had one of my tests up there. I always got 100 on every test. And this test, what had happened is there was a question I didn't know the answer to. And I wrote for the answer, I said, if you look on page 461 of the Herald Tribune World Almanac, you will find the answer. And oh that's where God. it was. That's where it was. And they marked the correct. Then they mounted the test and put it in a frame. In, in, in the, oh, wow. <laughs> so you didn't know the answer, but you knew where it could be found. Yeah. So yeah. that's as good as the right answer. Absolutely. In most instances, I could. I, my, my memory was so incredible, I could read the page that stuff was on. Like, I've I've read all ninety-eight of Edgar Rice Burroughs' books. He wrote about Tarzan, John Carter of Mars, you know, all these. And I've read those books 
so many times that it used to be if you read a line in the book, I could tell you the next line. Wow. But that's nowhere near. Wait, I want to tell you a story about the most incredible magician there ever was. This guy's name, Milton Gladstone. He was a customer of ours, and he liked a certain color of a cigar called Tayamo Torero. And he would make me open box after box after box until he found the right color. But he would buy every box of cigars I had that color. At any rate, he was a magician. He was partners with a guy named High Black. They formed the, the musician's team of Blackstone the Magician. It was actually Milton Gladstone and High Black. But he was not a performer. He had very shaky hands. And so he came in the store one day, and I said to him, I just saw the most amazing magician on TV. His name is Kreskin, and he does these incredible things. And he said to me, Kreskin is nothing. He said, he said, one day when you're not ready for it, I'm going to do a trick for you. So about a week later, Milton Gladstone calls on the phone. And he says to me, you sell cards? And I said, playing cards? He said, yeah. And he said, get out a new deck. Cut them up, shuffle them up, do anything you want to them. He said, now hand the deck to your wife and have her pick a card. And so I did that. My wife picks out a card. And he says to me, seven of clubs. And he was right. And this is on the telephone. Oh, my God. How the hell do you do that? It's just incredible. About a month later, Milton calls me again. He says, do you have a white pages directory for Manhattan? I said, sure. He said, open it up. He said, have your wife point to any name. And she points to a name. He tells us what the name is. This is impossible. It's impossible. You sure LaVonda just wasn't in on the trick? No, no. no we, were, we were both shocked. We, we actually had a customer named Lou Tannen, and he was the guy that invented tricks for magicians. You know, he would sell tricks to magicians. And he used to do sleight-of-hand shit that was incredible. You know, take a lit cigarette and slam it into his forehead, and it would come out his ear. I mean, it was, he, he could do... Phenomenal things. But this guy, Milton Gladstone, was, how do you pick out the card somebody's picking on the telephone? My oh, God. Incredible. So, at any rate, I don't know how I got off on that thing. Oh, we were talking about my memory. I'm saying, this guy was incredible. Wow. But my memory's not that good anymore. I have a hard time telling you what day it is. <laughs> do, do you think that, that has to do with memory or does that do with retirement because like during COVID I lost track of what days were what days. yeah you didn't need to know <laughs> yeah. I, I think it has to you know it has to do with aging you know I, I mean I still have a good memory but not like before uh, me and my partner Mark Goldman he used to own House of Oxford uh, and Mom Cigars we owned seven stores together and at one point when we were going to go public uh, we had to divide up, you know, what I did is, uh, in order to make it simpler, I would own the stores that were in New Jersey, and he would own the stores in New York. But uh, when we would do inventory together, uh, we knew the wholesale cost of every box of cigars in every store. And we would walk around, and in an hour, we would do what it would take other people a couple of days to do. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, 
I just knew the wholesale price of everything. I know most of them. I mean, I can still tell you Bering Plaza was $187.50 a thousand. <laughs> we, need, we need to get Briggs to, 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 to hear this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A&C, A&C Grenadiers were $131 a thousand. But if I had to buy them from Faber, Cole, and Greg, who had an exclusive in New York City, I had to pay $134 a thousand. I mean, I, I just... My, I, I'm that way when I buy stuff. I, I remember what I spend, but I'll ask my buyer. He'll get something new. I'm like, oh, what do we pay for that? He goes, uh... Let me, let me check. <laughs> but you just ordered it, like, last week. Years, but, yeah. ago, years ago, my cousin lived down here in Palm Beach. And, uh... Uh, actually, yeah. I first met him when he was 70 years old. I, I hadn't known him before. You met your cousin for the first time when he was 70? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my family really didn't tell many stories about their past. So at any rate, uh, he he was coming back to New York with me, and uh, he forgot his ticket. And there's a whole series of numbers on the ticket, you know, when you get it through the email. And when he had used my computer to get it a couple of days before that, and when, when we got to the airport, I told him the number. That, oh, my you know, God. It's like a 10-digit number. And he, he was like shocked. But it, it just stuck in my head. And, and it got him his ticket. Yeah, and I don't know why that happens or how that happens, but it, but, but it just does. I mean, it's it, not something you, you trained yourself for. It's just something no, that's yeah, innate. Yeah. Yeah, I, sometimes LaFonda will say that I didn't say something when I did say it, or that she didn't say something that she did say, but I can remember her lips moving, saying something. All right, so she can't pull that one with you? No, she does anyway, because I give in. LaFonda uh, <laughs> no, has a great memory. She remembers everything that I ever did wrong in my life. <laughs> That's treacherous. And, and I regret all those things, but they did happen. But I guess everybody has that. Absolutely. So, Lou, you know, in your retirement now, do you keep up? Do you watch what's happening with your old company, what's going on with the cigar industry, or have you just kind of mentally phased yourself out of the industry? Well, when Rob Norris and, and, uh, and uh, Rob Madison Madison were there, uh, I kept in pretty close contact with them, and they would call me. I would call them. You know, I would, I would see something on the, on their website which I thought was incorrect, and I would call them and let them know. Uh, but then, you know, after Rob, both Robs left, uh, they put a new guy in named David, something or other, and I met him, I think once or twice, and I've met, and since then I. The last time I met with them, they had a uh, some sort of consultant that they wanted me to talk to, which I did. And it was some woman that never smoked a cigar in her whole life. And she, I couldn't believe that this was the consultant. But at any rate, since then, I've had almost uh, very little contact with them. Uh, and I don't even know who the new people are. Um, Rob, Rob, and Rob are both two two awesome guys. I mean, guys, I I, I really respected and liked. And in fact, Rob Madison, uh, he's going to be visiting Florida here early next month, so it'll be good to see him again. I haven't seen him in a few years, probably yeah, they, about four or five years. Yeah, they had moved him to a division 
that sells this thing called Blue, which is an electronic disposable cigarette. Yeah. You know, which it was, they moved him there when the thing was in its death knell. And, uh, and, and I don't believe he's with them anymore. I'm, no. I'm pretty sure of it. And, uh, but Rob Norris is still with Altidus, and, and I thought he was very competent. Very, you know, he was good. Uh, you know, I, I, the other guy, uh, Estatus, I think is his name. I Javier. Yeah, I, I only met him once. In, I, actually, I was still working, you know, still at JR for a year or two, I guess, while he was there. And I, I just met him the one time he passed through the office and, you know, he asked me my name. I told him. He asked me what I do there. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's the role. But, that's, but that's, that's the only time I ever met that guy. I, I want to put things in perspective for our listeners because I, I, some, you know, I think when you see things on a flat screen, you know, you have these perceptions that exist. And um, I, I, I was sharing. You know, we had, we had lunch a couple weeks ago, and I asked you a bunch of questions about warehousing and what, like the, you know, stuff like that. So. Um, just to give people a sense of an idea of the mass size of what that organization became, right? We're very excited because we're moving into our six or 7,000 square foot warehouse, which at lunch you've convinced me now is not big enough. Um, Take the 18,000. <laughs> after my lunch with you, I called them the next day. The other 12,000 was gone. So um, we're going to make it do for a few years. But so, so, you know, to put it in perspective for a lot of our listeners out there, we're acquiring whatever it is, six, seven, eight thousand square foot warehouse, which for us, if you look at the space we've been working in, it's five, six times the size. So we're all excited and happy. But say, say six thousand, eight thousand square feet. Tell our listeners how big the JR warehouse was. Well, it's still, I don't know right. if it's full anymore, but right. we, it was 280,000 square feet. Jesus. Yeah. And oh so my people, God! So I just want to put this in perspective for people: eight thousand square feet, two hundred eighty thousand square feet. And just, I know most people can't wrap their head around that. So I'll just tell you this: your average major grocery store chain, which is like Publix down here, or wherever you're at, you know, not like not like the super centers, but just your regular normal, you know, grocery store chain, is about twenty, thirty thousand square feet. Well, it's, it's easier to imagine it as a football field. Because the football field is actually 100 yards, which is uh, 300 feet long. And this was three football fields long. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's three football fields long, but how wide? Uh, about, well, it wasn't. I got to think It wasn't a perfect rectangle. Okay. So, I, maybe on average, what, 200 Wide. That's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Huge. Huge. And then, you know, and then we went up 24 feet with power racking. So, uh, but we, you know, I, I, I bought everything in huge quantities. Like, you know, Andy Box Press, the Andy Costin, the guy who makes the humidor? Yes. I mean, the first time I met him, you know, like, uh, and he wanted to sell us some humidors, uh, he's used to people ordering, you know, like, 24 or 48 or whatever, you know, 
I saw two humidors I liked, and I said, okay, you know, I'll take a container of each. How many fit in a 40-foot container? <laughs> this is, it's a true story. Andy's been on my show. Yeah. Like, he yeah. was trying to meet Lou. He went to work at a trade show. Um, Andy makes Andy's career is he makes a lot of furniture, um, does a lot for rooms to go. And he had known Nick Perdomo, and he showed him a humidor. He's like, oh, you got to meet this guy, Lou. So um, Andy worked Perdomo's booth in his earliest career just so he could meet Lou. He walks away. Lou comes by, leaves, and, and, and Andy comes back. Like, you just missed him. So Andy chases Lou down and, uh, you know, shows him his humidor, gives him his card, and <coughs> he gets a call from Lou, and Lou wants to talk over the phone. Andy's like, I really want to come and meet you in person. They're like, it's not necessary. But he does. And Andy's telling me the story. He's like, you know, I'm hoping to walk out with an order for a hundred, a couple hundred humidors, you know? And Lou's first order was two containers, which I think was like 12,000 humidors. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Yeah. I just want to know how many fit in the container. Yeah. The funny part was one of them was the H. Upman humidor. And I told Andy, I want them numbered, you know, from one to 2,000. I guess I was ordering 2,000 with that particular one. And uh, uh, when they came in, I, you know, I meant number one, number two, number three. But they came in, it was like every single humidor said one of 2,000. So everybody got the first humidor ever made. And I got the first one. A better one was with Steve Saka. He was working for me, and I wanted to make a real fancy humidor for him. And... So uh, Andy had told, we told Steve, you know, type out his name on a, on a, uh, a piece of, uh, letter, you know, eight, eight and a half by 11 sheet, which he did in big, bold letters, Steve Sockham. So I give that to Andy. Andy sends it to China to make a special humidor for him. And when it comes in, it's this beautiful humidor. With an eight and a half by eleven white square on the top that says Steve Saka. Of course, you know it's hard to get those people directions. They do exactly what you say. So, so they made it instead of just putting his name on it, they put the eight and a half by eleven sheet of white paper on there. And they, and they and they end up copying like the exact marker writing, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it, 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 it's it really is something in this in, in this industry. Um, you know, I know you, Steve Saka, worked for you. Yeah. It's, it's kind of really when he first got in the cigar industry before he went to Jewish State, whatever. Have you been keeping up with anything he's doing? Have you been watching what he's doing, Will? Absolutely, I'm friend, I'm very friendly with Steve. He's been doing very well. It's a home run. Everything he does is a home run. But, but he's a perfectionist. You know, like he, even though he worked for me, he could never work for me. It takes too long to do everything. You know, I see, I, I never, I never ever in my entire career told any cigar maker how to make a cigar or what to use or whatever. What I would do is I would go there and they, they make, they're making something for somebody else that's selling. I would make the same thing and just call it something else. But buy it at a much cheaper price because I was buying so many of them. Wow, that's good. So yeah, Steve, Steve talks about about working for you. He definitely uh, has has admiration for you, and and uh, 
I, I can only imagine having Steve work for you the, the way he is with the perfectionist. When I was planning to leave, you know, after I sold the company, I still worked there for a number of years. And to find a replacement for me, I wanted Steve Soccer. And so, really? Yeah, I offered him the job, you know, at a, a really great salary. And uh, the company outed this. British American tobacco, yeah, Imperial Tobacco, whatever. Uh, the method that they have to, uh, I say, I told them, listen, there's only two people I know right now that I think could replace me immediately. One, or three actually. One is Steve. One is Mark Goldman, who ran House of Oxford and was my partner in those stores I told you about. That yeah. Back. And the third one was Keith Meyer, who started Cigar International. And now has cigar page. Uh, so at any rate, uh, I I told the people at Imperial Tobacco that this was the guy I want, that he could replace me, and they have a thing where people in my position, you know, which was they have different levels of uppityness, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> What they do is first they do uh, they research the guy, then they hire headhunters to market the same position at the same salary to see who they can catch. Can catch, and this whole process takes you know like four, five, six months. Still, then the board has to approve it and all. You know, by that time, Saka would be uh, old with grandchildren, so. So I couldn't do Steve, and uh, it ended up that I put a super competent person in, which was Jane Vargas, who worked for me, and uh, she's she's an outstanding buyer, and you know very and and, and, and very creative. But uh, you know, I I, I mean I, I don't have any regrets about having. Jane do it because she was terrific and the, the company, you know, was functioning really good until they decided that she was making too much money. But she was making more money than the people that hired her. Yeah. In fact, everybody was. All them people are gone. Wow. You know, they keep uh, rationalizing things. They rationalize products. I mean, they discontinued Muriel Coronellas when they were selling more Muriel Coronellas than the entire premium cigar industry. Why? Yeah. Why did they discontinue it, Lou? What's the re? What do you think the reasoning behind that? They feel that uh, by cutting out their lowest selling products, they increase the strength of their strongest selling products, and so they keep cutting out sizes and whatnot to to increase the strength of the item in the line that's selling the best. I mean, Andy, you know, sells them the tips for Habitat of Jewels. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was shipping, you know, like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 containers at a time. Each container contained millions of tips. Oh, just the wood tips on the Habitat. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think you can find a Habitat of Jewel today. Uh, Dutch Master line, the Corona, was the best seller, so they kept doing stuff with the Corona and not doing stuff with the other 20 sizes or so that they had and they got rid of them all. 
And now they seem to be doing the opposite with the premium cigar business. There's enough different kinds of Monte Cristo to fill up an entire freaking cigar store. I mean, I can't even name how many kinds of Monte Cristos there are. I can't name how many kinds of uh, Romeo and Juliet's. And the other companies, the same thing. Whoever thought there'd be like 20 kinds of Macanudos. And then you have them in different packages. Yeah. One, I, I, one cigar in, in, a, in a polymer bag, two cigars in a polymer bag to put on counters, packs of five, 10, 12, 15, 18, 20, 25. It's insane. They've watered down the entire industry. Yeah, I, I think I think you know what what's happened over the last couple of decades is that it, it they I think they fall in this cycle of it's easier to build something on a known brand than try to create a new brand itself. But it's it's detrimental to their customers. Number I, one, I, number I, one, number one, they're in they're in competition with their customers by owning so many stores. But number two is uh. I forgot what number two was, but it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked oh, about now. Now, now yeah. I remember. Number two is as they as they keep launching these products. When a product fails to sell, it's incumbent on the retailer to get this rid of this thing, not only at their cost, but all the tax they paid to get it into the state that they're in. I mean, you're fortunate in Florida; you don't have this. But what if you were in Minnesota, where not only did you pay the wholesale price, but then another 75% on top of that to get the product into your store. Now it doesn't sell. you got to get rid of it because you need the money from that product to buy the next product. Yeah. I'm, mark my words, if Cuban cigars ever become legal in this country, it's going to be devastating because people will need a lot of money to put in the inventory of Cuban cigars. And how do they get that money? They only can get that money by selling everything in their store at cost to raise inventory money to buy the next product. I, I don't think it's going to work that much like that, Lou. Like, I, I don't think they, you, you could raise all the money you want, but if they don't have it to sell you as much as you want, which I don't think they'll have off the bat, I don't know. No, they um, will. They'll have all the cigars you can possibly use, and this is the reason why. They've been right? storing them. No, it's... it's it has nothing to do with storage. It has to do with the fact that they're manufacturing a lot of cigars, and the cigars are going to the Far East, to Europe, to Asia, to Africa, to wherever, to Casa de Monte Cristo stores, and then to other stores that are supplied by their wholesale, you know, outfit. Uh, once the I, I would venture to say that more than fifty percent of the cigars that they sell. To all these other areas, the Far East, Africa, Middle East, whatever, those cigars are being bought by Americans and shipped here. I got it. Once, once the Cuban cigars are legal here, the people over there will cancel their orders. They'll dry up. So the production remains the same. It's just the shipping point changes. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, while I was still with the company, of course, I wasn't at liberty to say this. But now I'm not there anymore. They had millions of Monte Cristo number fours uh, rat holed in England. They shipped them there unboxed, just the cigars, be at various different times when they thought the law might change. Because the Monte Cristo number four was the largest selling product that they had. 
So, so I don't. I so you, you you're saying they're hoarding cigars in anticipation of a embargo lift? They were. I don't I don't know that they are anymore because I've been out of the business for a while and not privy to all their plans. But I do know that the big the big accounts that they have all over the world will chop their orders to pieces once Cuban cigars are legal in America. Do you see that ever happening, Lou? I mean, there's been so many moments now over history where it just should have happened, and it hasn't. Do, do you actually really think that's just even ever going to happen at this point? I don't know. You know, I was I was working with my father when the Cuban embargo was put in place, and we had a lot of Cuban cigars. Uh, we had a United Cigar Store, and uh, we just kept selling them at the same price because my father said, eh, just keep selling them. This would be over in a couple of weeks. Obviously, he was wrong. <laughs> he also told me in business, he said, you only do as much business as your own two hands can handle. In other words, if I'm not at the cash register or my wife is not at the cash register, that store shouldn't be open. But obviously, I couldn't have done what I did. I mean, we had... 24 cash registers just in the Selma store. <laughs> Couldn't be right, right. That was that was the mentality of my father. That's how yeah. they were raised. Yeah, yeah. My father, my father and his brother owned a grocery business. They ran together for 25 years, 20 some years, and it was insane because they both couldn't take a day off. Right. One of the brothers had to be there. If one went overseas for a vacation for three weeks, the other guy worked 21 days straight. Yeah, when I, when I went into the service, my father opened and closed the store. We opened at 7 in the morning. We closed at 11 at night. And he lived an hour away. And, and he, he, that was a massive feat of endurance. And when I came home, you know, like for two weeks leave, it wasn't that I spent time with my family. I, I worked in the store. Then I worked the store, you know, from nothing in the morning till nothing at night, just to give him a rest. Yeah, that was the mentality. So when I started opening up other stores here in Florida, my father was like, "How do you do that? Uh, you put a guy at the register. Well, how do you? Do that? Well, you just watch and you. I mean, it was like it was like he couldn't conceive how you know how how can you let that happen? It was, it was my, my father thought everybody would be stealing from him. Well. He, I, but I mean, he was wrong. Only half the people. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what it comes to the point is if you're going to be in retail, you just have to resign to the fact that people are going to steal. Well, credit cards have helped a lot because it used to be everything was cash. Cash. Right? So, uh, they can still steal. They steal cigars. They steal the cash. I mean, you just have to live with it as just part of what you do in your business. I know, but, but if, if, they, if they steal it, if they steal a ten dollar cigar, it costs you five dollars. If they steal a ten dollar bill, it costs you ten dollars. True. True. That's true. dollars. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the fact of, of the possibility of letting people steal was just something they couldn't live with. It's crazy. Yeah, I, that's how they lived back. That's how they did things back then. Yeah, I'm talking about refraining from taking a piss because you can't leave the cash register. My father, right. my father was incredible. He, my father could stand at the counter and wait on somebody, and we had like a flap, you know, to go out 
from behind the counter with the flap that came over. And he could piss in a cigar box while he was taking care of a customer. <laughs> you know, this has been such an epic show, and we're going to probably go a little long here today because there's just certain segments we got to get in. But um, being, especially the guests that we have today, we definitely want to get to the to Avo uh, segment. We have a very special segment called As the Record Spins. So why don't you cue that up, Paul, and we'll ask Lou a very special question from Avo Cigar. special question to ask you for the fine folks at Avo Cigars. So here's your question for As the Record Spins, Lou. Who do you think would be cast as you if they did a movie about your life? So, so if, if, if somebody was going to come to you and say, look, we want to do a, a life story about you, you, Lou. We want to talk about your history, how you did the cigar business, whatever. Who do you think would be cast best to play Mr. Lou Rothman? Mark Goldman. You mean your partner? Right. Oh, come on. We need an actor, Lou. We need an actor. What actor do you see playing Lou Rothman? Um, maybe, maybe Dustin Hoffman. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Because he can be basically anybody. I, I can see that. <laughs> I can even see I can even see Dustin Hoffman doing your voice. That's a that's a good pick, yeah. Dustin Hoffman. And there you have it. As the record spins by Avo Cigars. Thank you, Lou. You know I have a story about Avo. Oh well, hold on, Dushay. Do you want to bring Coop in at all? Are we going to do the segment. I mean, the show has just gone like haywire today. Yeah, let's let's bring Coop in. Let's bring Coop in. I mean, who's I, Coop? I, I Willie, who's Coop? I love it. <laughs> hold on. Do you want me to do his intro? Yeah, do his intro. Let's get him in. What's my theme music? The Scoop with Coop. Breaking industry news. Hear it first on KMA Talk Radio and cigar-coop.com. That's Coop, Lou. Oh, okay. Hey, Lou. How you doing? Good, good. How are you? All right. Coop, I'm sorry, man. This show just kind of got away today. No, no, no. That's totally understandable. Look, what a sh- it's been today. It is this for the archives for sure. Yeah, it was it was a hell of a show. But share with us, Lou, your your Avo story because right. I love when Lou breaks into a story. Well, I, you know, Avo Avo owned his own company, uh, Avo Avasian, the piano player, and uh, there was a time when Davidoff was suing us, and they were suing us because we were making a JR alternative to the Davidoff brand. And when they, and and also to the Avo brand. So uh, in the lawsuit, um, Davidoff uh, filed their lawsuit as the owners of the Davidoff and Avo brand, but they didn't really own the Avo brand. Avo owned it, and in order, and the lawsuit uh, came to a stop 
And in order to continue in the lawsuit, uh, Davidoff was forced to buy the Alvo brand so that they could continue as the owner. And they, I think they paid him six or seven million dollars for it. And at one of those cigar aficionado dinners where they, you know, at the Four Seasons, Alvo came up to me and hugged me and he said, thank you so much. Because, because that lawsuit had made them buy the brand from him. He was already, you know, like 85 years old or whatever. And uh, so that, that's how he became financially independent from my lawsuit. Wow, that's great. <laughs> wow, I didn't wow. know that. That's a great story. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow. So, hey, Coop, you got any questions you want to ask Lou while we got you on? Lou, what do you think right now is the biggest challenge the cigar industry is facing outside of FDA right now? Outside of the FDA? Yeah. Uh, taxes. I mean, the taxes are multiplying the cost of cigars tremendously, and, and I don't think the 41.6 cents cap on importing stuff is going to last. It's going to get higher, and the state taxes are going to... All the states are in trouble now because of how much money it has cost them, you know, for this COVID-19 thing. So I'm thinking that, you know, one of the things they're going to look at is is the taxes on cigars. So, you know, if an average, if you look at the imports, you know, that the CAA puts out, I mean, the average cigar coming in maybe costs a dollar because there's, you know, a lot of inexpensive, the bulk of the business is bundled cigars. So if the average cigar comes in at a dollar, then it really costs a dollar. Well, let's say it costs a dollar fifty by the time you ship it and pay the forty-one point six cents tax. So now the item is costing some importer a dollar fifty, and uh, you know they want to make whatever they want to make on a forty percent, fifty percent. Let's assume that they work close to the vest and they sell the cigar for two dollars instead of a dollar fifty. Then it goes to some state where the average tax is 40%, and now it's 280. And that retailer wants to uh, double their money on it, Keystone, and the cigar becomes 560. And then you add safe sales tax to it. Now the dollar cigar has become a $6 cigar. The $2 cigar, you know, becomes $8, whatever. The, right. The, yeah. The, and, and, while, you know, while money is much cheaper than it used to be, uh, still the, you know, the preponderance of people who smoke cigars uh, that are real cigar smokers, you know, a guy who smokes two or three cigars a day, uh, they can't spend, you know, $20 a day on cigars. Uh, even if they could afford it, their wife would kill them. So uh, I think the biggest thing is tax. It's the same with cigarettes. I mean, you know, I used to, I, I used to, when I was a kid, I, we sold cigarettes two packs for 35 cents in my father's open window store. You know, and today, the cigarettes that I smoke, if you're in Manhattan, cost close to $15 for one pack. It's, it's, everything is tax. And people don't realize, not only are they paying that tax, but then when the retailer makes money, he has to pay tax on his profit. So the, the amount of tax collected on all tobacco products is just staggering. Absurd, absurd. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it really, yeah. Absolutely is. 
Lou, do you do you think right now you what's what do you think the future is for catalog sales right now? Do you think there's a real danger that this could that this could be outlawed? Well, they're forcing people to collect taxes in various different places now, so you know that that is going to have uh, an impact. However, the preponderance of different numbers of cigars that are out there make it impossible for any particular retailer to carry everything that's available unless they're in the mail order business, because then their audience is the entire United States. I do think, I do think that eventually somebody is going to start a mail order company in another country, shipping them in here and avoiding most of these taxes. Interesting. Directly to consumers. I got this question for you, Lou. As, as a guy who basically founded the first catalog in this business, how relevant or how important, because they're still making them, even in the digital age, even with online stores, catalogs are still being printed, and it's not an inexpensive process. No, if, if, you, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, you guys printed a catalog once a month when you were there? Right. And what, what are the expenses roughly to do one catalog once a month and ship it out to everybody? Over a million dollars a month. Over a million dollars. Wow. A month. So, and how many catalogs were you roughly doing for a million dollars a month? Well, uh, let me just think about this. If you consider the postage and the catalog, I take it back. Try three million dollars a month. Jesus! Oh, wow. And and that's for how many catalogs? About six hundred thousand. So six hundred thousand consumers. You're spending three million a month to reach six hundred thousand consumers. Do you even think that in today's day and age with the web and the digital, that why are, why are catalogs still even being used? They shouldn't be. It's, it's a waste of money. If I, if I was going back into business now, I'd just be, you know, on the Internet and hire the best artists and the, and the best catalog people and do it that way. Because, it, first of all, all the catalogs look the same. They all look like Thompson's used to do, you know. A bunch of different squares. Then the next month they rotate the squares to different places, but uh, they don't tell you anything about the cigar other than uh, the length, the ring size, and how much they cost. The price, yeah. I mean, the, the artwork is spectacular. You know, the, the cigars look edible. Right. The photography is great. Well, it's not so much the photography anymore. It's it's the fact that you can manipulate the color of everything with the computers and make them all look gorgeous. You know, we used, in the early days when we were making the catalog, we used to open hundreds of boxes of cigars trying to find, you know, the perfect color or unbox them and rebox them so that we got all the same thing in the same color and then move all the cigar bands. And, you know, it was, and then put up the, the photos on light boxes and pick out which ones were the best ones. You know, today you don't have to do any of that stuff. You just take a photo and alter it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I forget what they call it. There's a word for it. But, yeah, the the programs they have are sensational to, to manipulate them. But when, we, when I did the catalogs, I'm not saying mine is the best way, I'm sure... Other people think theirs is the best way. Uh, I tried to write a story about every cigar because people want to know a little bit, a little bit about the cigar. Uh, 
you know, today, they're, they're all the same. It's like, buy this and get five cigars free. Buy this and get a cigar coated. Buy this and get a hat. Well, I think I think what you did differently and why you're so revered and, and, and loved is you were a good writer, Lou. You, you you wrote good content. What people don't know is you wrote a lot of your own material. I wrote you, it all. You wrote your content. So yeah, it, I wrote it all the day before it went to print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lou wrote all <clears throat> Look, and, and that's one of the things that I, I, I've been blessed in being able to know you is, is that, look, you know, there are people out there just doing business, putting numbers, and just wanting to do sales. And that's never what we try to do. We always try to, whether it's a story or an experience or an interaction, you know, just be more than a sale. You know, you know I think you're very creative in the stuff you do. I mean, and, you know, and, and thank it's you. Inter- it's interesting and it's different. Just having this show is different. I mean, um, I'm sure 99% of the people who buy stuff by mail. You know, couldn't identify the person they bought it from if they were next standing next to them. <laughs> which, which I'm going to tell you, because you remember, Lou, Lou made his career back in the day, really before there was social media. Right. So, you know, there's there's great stories about people on the trade show floor. Now, these aren't consumers; these are retailers, industry people who would go to the Santa Clara booth, which was their wholesale division, and Lou would be on the floor taking orders, right? And they would walk up to him and says, "Hey." Do, do you know where Lou Rothman is? I'd like to meet Lou Rothman. Lou Rothman would be, and Lou would say, "Yeah, I think he just went that way." Yeah, <laughs> he said. He said he told us a few times too on the air that people would come up to him, telling him how, "Oh yeah, I know Lou Rothman. We're good buddies," not yeah. knowing that they were talking to him. In the store, they would, they, they would say that to me in the store because I used to spend a lot of time in the store. That's great. Actually, one day a guy came up to me and said he knew me, and I said, "That's bullshit." And I found out he was in the Marine Corps with me. He really did know me. I just didn't recognize him. Oh, man. One one time I was at this bocce tournament, and I overheard this guy saying that he was my lawyer. And I went up to him, and I said, who are you? But he he really was my lawyer. It's just that we had had different lawyers for everything. You know, they were were like doctors. They all specialize in something. Right, right. You know, if you go to the dentist right. today and there's something wrong, they send you to another dentist. Yep. It's true. Because when I think about back in my career, when we first started, we had no lawyers. Like, God forbid we ever need a lawyer. I think I have, like, five different lawyers that I regularly interact with now. It's yeah, insane. for different stuff. It's literally insane. That sounds awful. Yeah, it is. The only lawyer I really like is my trademark lawyer, because those are the ones that actually sometimes make you money. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we we've been fortunate enough to have a couple of marks that my organization has profited well on. So those are the they're the only ones I really like. But trademark law is such a farce because it really comes down to who can afford it more. It really yeah. does. It, yeah. it comes down to who's got the deeper pockets will always win. And then that's that's why like I don't even like I, I used to trademark everything. I used to think of now I just do it, and then if it becomes a problem, then you can go, because you have the right of first use, but, like, you know, we had Anarchy Cigars forever, <laughs> you know, forever, before there was the Sons of Anarchy Cigar, and then they came out. So, you know, of course, in my naive little universe, we reached out to them and said, you know, hey, we feel like this is infringement, you know, we have the mark Anarchy in cigars and categories, uh, cigar category. And we've had this out many, many years before you're not coming, trying to come out with the sons of anarchy cigar. 
And of course, 20th Century Fox basically told us to go fuck ourselves, <laughs> literally, and, and said, look, our show was around before your cigars, which, if you look at it logistically, has no bearing on the cigar industry, Mark, but what are you going to do? You're going to fight 20th Century Fox? Yeah, all right. Enjoy your cigar. Yeah, I yeah. Had that. I, I, at one convention, Rocky Patel was putting out a brand called Mocha. I remember I, that. I had been making that for, I don't know, 25, 30 years already. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I forced him to change the name. I think he named it Java. Java. So, now, I just right. want, I mean, I remember that trade show because he already had his fixtures in his trade show booth. Yeah. Mocha. Right. Yeah. By the second day, it was gone of the trade <laughs> show. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, they do stuff without, you know, without checking. But uh, just about every name you can think of is already trademarked. You got to, you know, now they come up with names that you would, even the consumer can't remember the name. Shai Sun Kral. Lou Rosman just gave a plug for JSK. I love it. I remember. Yeah, some of them have like it's like the name of a Mexican dictator. Wow, like them, them names long. Somebody tag Risty. And oh. everything, everything is a celebration that something something happened. You know, <laughs> they had a good meal, so they name it after the cigar. They name a cigar after it. Whatever. All Eric, sorts of bizarre stuff. Eric Estrosa used to reach out to me all the time. He goes, bro. I can't come up with any more names. Every time I check something, it's taken. I mean, it's, it's problematic. I see, I see, I see Coop donning his Sopranos jacket today. I just noticed that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Dude, I, I'm, I'm the biggest Furio fan out there. To, to hear, hear him on the show today was, I mean, that was just priceless. And he, I became a bigger fan of his after that interview. If I known that, we would have got, we would have put you on the show while he was on. I had him, I had him ready. We just were running out of time. He, he, he was look, on. It was, I, yeah, it was three three guys already interviewing one guy, and then four at the top. I totally get it. I, I was I was just yeah. Uh, we'll, I actually we'll asked Paul. I said, Paul, sneak me in there anyway. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have him on again. We'll definitely. Yeah, have yeah. There's no no yeah. issue with that. Yeah. He was very reachable, to be honest with you. He, guys he was like, trying to get on the show. Um, you know, I mean, and these guys are like, you know, you you'll send them a text, and you're lucky to hear from them in thirty days. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, oh he, yeah. Very reachable, and we have his number, and we'll, I'm sure as he. I, I love the idea that he's doing with his, you know, the, 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 the what's it called again, Paul? Virtual uh, cons. Virtual he's, cons. He's a, listen, man, Coop, you'd be jealous because I probably talked to him for an hour yesterday, just, oh. just BSing and it, just a, just a really great guy. We, it, it turns out, well, Abe always makes fun of me, but it turns out we, we know a couple of the same people and we, you know, worked in a couple of the same areas and stuff. So even really, I was, I was a huge Sopranos fan. So yeah. I was definitely fan geeking on him a little bit, but he, oh. he has some stories too. So when we when we get him on again, some of them he can share and some of them he can't. But um, he he has some really great cast stories, especially from the show. Hey, if if I disappear, my thing is down to three percent. So if I uh -oh. disappear, it's because I ran out of electricity. Well, <laughs> well, we're already fifteen minutes over the show. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're gonna go through a couple segments, Lou. But if you do disappear, I just want to tell you. Thanks again for coming on. We always love having you come on. It's Absolutely. always great stories. And if we're lucky, we'll, we'll try to get you on again before you head back uh, up north. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll get together and have another lunch. But uh, always a great show, Lou. Very yeah. appreciated. Okay. 
Thank so you I'm, for your time. So I'll just sign off then? Is that it? You can. You can. That way it won't oh. look like you hung up. Okay. All right. See you. Thank you. We'll Thank see you, you later. Great Bye show. Now. I'll talk you know, about the impact show today. Holy wow. Cow. Seriously. This is one for the annals of history, for sure. I mean. Annals? Annals. He loves that word. Coop, Coop loves that word. <laughs> annals of history. You know, you know, one thing I just want to say about Furio's, I mean, Federico's character, Furio, he was one of the most complex characters on that show. When you break down that character and the two sides of him, you know, he had that, that mean enforcer side, then he had that sensitive side. There was a lot to that character he played. Oh, he he his relationship with Carmella. I was going to oh, say, yeah. start flirting with Carmella. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, he, was, he was an unbelievable addition to that cast. And, and, it, really, and it's a testament I, they, that... They let him go too <laughs> soon. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, and but it's a testament to him that and, and the people that wrote the character that a character that's that big, a big a part of a sh- of the show, you know, the show continued on its success through the addition of somebody like that. So it was it was like you say, Coop. It's one of the greatest shows of all time. I I think it's yeah, definitely it, it's definitely part of iconic history forever. Yeah, so. it, it is. It's like it's, I think it's it's it, we're doing a top ten list. It's one on my list. There's not a question. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, future top ten. I like this. Wow. I like yeah. this. We may have to do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Barry and them one, so yeah. <laughs> Maybe Paul and I will do one of our top tens when you guys are done with your top There 10. you go. There you go. <laughs> so, so, Goop, what else do you have in the news? Uh, I'll make a quick – I know we're late, so I'll do a few, a few quick hits. Uh, the PCA trade show, uh, the PCA has said the show is on. There's been some email communications going out there as scott pierce was on the how about that cigar show on monday night he confirmed that they're going forward with the trade show on july 9th so i want my five dollars eric gutterman i want my five dollars yep eric's gonna have well the show's still gonna have to happen let's see what happens but um you know i think pca is interesting they got a they got a little bit of an advantage being later now and, you know, if you go back a year ago when, when TPE was going ahead at PCA, everyone said TPE would have that edge. But TPE shows, like, too close to the, you know, it's still too close for comfort, I think, with the whole COVID thing. PCA's got a little more of an edge right now, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I just want to find the Jake Davis real quick. The difference was the wire. wire didn't go far enough. A great show, but it didn't go far enough. It got, great, it got it is a great show, it got cut too early to be that iconic. So, might have been. But, yeah. Very, so, what, what else you got? Um, there's a couple of new releases from Altidus, uh that's come out right now. So, there's a new St. Louis Ray that's in the stores next month. And they also announced the, a new Monte Cristo Epic. It's the Epic Vintage 2012. And if you know about the Epic series, they tend to do, it's a vintage series that they do. So, they do vintages from different years. This one's going to feature a, a vintage of 2012 tobacco. It's kind of getting the name of uh, Monte Cristo Blue because of the blue bands. So the blue bands have made their way to Monte Cristo, you know, where 10 years ago you wouldn't hear of a Monte Cristo having a blue band. Now it's having a blue band right now. There you go. Yep. So uh, Altidus seems to be doing a nice job of spreading their releases out throughout the year. You know, obviously they're not doing the, the PCA this year, so... It looks like their strategy is they're they're kind of each month doing one or two releases and uh, you know so there's something to look forward to with them uh, throughout the year this year for sure. What else is going on, Coop? Um, one last note: uh, a TAA cigar was announced. Uh, the the TAA is coming up uh, later this month, and uh, J.C. Newman's going to be releasing a Brickhouse cigar. 
uh, called The Beginnings um, in both Natural and Maduro. And that is supposedly some cigars they, they uncovered in the warehouse uh, from the original batch. And uh, they've been aging since. So they're going to release. It's not a new blend, but it's a, it's a very much aged blend that they're releasing. They've done uh, The Brickhouse Beginnings. Okay. Good stuff. Yep. Yep. Anything, anything our fans can look forward to on the coop this week? Uh, yeah, we're going to have um, Alan Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars as a guest Thursday night. So, the real Alan Rubin. The real Alan Rubin. Yes, the real Alan Rubin of Alec Bradley. So uh, very excited about that show coming up. It's, uh, we haven't talked to Alan in a while, so uh, and they got a lot of stuff going on. So and Alan's always a great conversation. So Oh, man, uh, he, the, the guy, he, he's also a guy with great stories, too. It really is, and he's very, you know, direct. He'll tell it like it is, too. So um, I always appreciate that with Alan. All right. All right. Shall we get to the tape? Tell the tape. We need to see who ranks this week. So actually this week, um, Coop and I decided that we were going to forego the top 10 list and just take a minute to pay tribute to Marvin Hagler, who passed away last week. Paul, why don't you go ahead and run that video? Icon. I mean, what else can you say? The guy never ducked anybody. Never ducked anybody. And here's the thing. he His toughest fights were in the last segment of his career. Uh, that run he had as the middleweight champion. He, he ducked nobody. We, we all know about the Hearns fight. Uh, he was in trouble in that fight. You know, they were dangerous stopping the fight because he was cut. And uh, he knew what he had to do to get that job done. And here's the other thing, Alex. He stayed at middleweight. And he was very open about that because he knew if he went up in weight, he felt he couldn't be the same fighter. So he always stayed at middleweight throughout his career. Right, which is, you know, a credit to him. I mean, you see that a lot of people jumping up and down. But, you know, the guy knew yeah. where he performed best. And, and, you know, that's why he's an icon. And, you know, 
marvelous Marvin Hagler. I mean, there's very few people, even just on the outskirts of a little bit of knowing what boxing is, that know marvelous Marvin Hagler. You know, that clip was incredible that was put together. And there was a guy uh, who was in the green trunks. Uh, that was Mustafa Hamshow when Marvin yeah. Hagler stopped him in the 11th round. And let me tell you, he was Hamshow was disrespecting Hagler throughout that whole fight. And Hagler just put the guns on in the 11th round. I remember that fight. And he beat the crap out of him. And then he took Hamshow on again. And every time Marvin fought a guy a second time, he beat him worse than the first time. Absolutely. And that was good, yeah, yep. So, you know, the, the Leonard decision was Leonard decision. Um... It was, you know, but uh, it was unfortunate the way his career ended like that. But, uh, he, you know, I was so glad to see the accolades he got over the past week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, rest yep. in peace, Marvin Hagler, man. Absolutely. Most absolutely. Of the boxing community. Well, what a yeah, second. Alex really surprised me with that when he, he told me the news, actually. Alex was the one who told me the news. I did. Actually, we were at Rocky's birthday. I saw it. I yeah. Texted. It was, it was wow. surprising. And, and, look, I'm not a guy who I, I watched boxing. I, I, I paid attention. But I'm not a. I wouldn't like even attempt to do what you guys are doing with a segment, but there's right. one. I mean, I was fortunate enough to watch him fight, and even if you see some of these clips, man, look. You know, one of the things you see is like in rounds nine, eight, ten, they're not hitting like they are in rounds one and two. These yeah. guys throwing like like bombs, they're still throwing bombs, yeah. bombs, right. ten, bombs in rounds nine and ten. Like you watching some of those hits, and you're like, oh my yeah. god, that was crushing. Yeah. He was so, taking yeah. beating against yeah. He was taking beating against Mugabe in the second to last fight, and again he had a throw bombs to kind of stop Mugabe. It was just, he knew what he had to do when he was in trouble in a fight. Now, you know, I, I, I haven't heard much about, I saw a post by Jeff a couple seconds ago. I haven't heard much about his cause of death. Was there anything that's been out there? There's yeah. a, there's conspiracy theories. I'll say Hearns made a segment saying that, that implied that he died because of getting a vaccine. But, but his wife, Hagler's wife, has denied the story. We, I, so all we know is that Hearns, Thomas Hearns did that comment. But he wasn't sick because there was no signs of, I mean, he didn't have an illness or anything, you know. Did he? Not that we know of. You know, they, they kind of said the same thing about Hank Aaron, too. When Hank Aaron died a month or so ago, um, he had gotten the vaccine like uh, two weeks prior. But there's really... Yeah nothing to justify that that was the cause. I don't like to go either way on those kind of things. I don't know. I just didn't know a he had privacy. Hag was a private guy. He was always yeah. a private guy. Yeah, so it's hard to really tell if there was something going on before that. Well, marvelous rest in peace, my friend. You, uh, yeah, yep, absolutely. Bought us a lot of uh, very epic moments in yeah, the world. Yeah, brought back a lot of memories, yeah. Absolutely. All right, to uh, wind uh, this day down, Paul, let's take us uh, and see this week who belongs in a cigar and stay in asylum. Welcome to the Cigar Asylum. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Where logic and reason cease to exist. noted yesterday we kind of ran out of time to have our meeting so i'm actually reading this for the first time today uh <laughs> interesting interesting uh insane asylum so here we go this week's inductee wanted what he wanted and he didn't want to work for it texas man eric dion warren 50 years old drove a car dealership loaner to a bank then he went inside the bank placed an empty fast food bag on the counter along with a note that read this is an effing robbery. 
play with me and die. I want $10,000 in 50 and $100 bills, and you have one minute or I will kill you. He then pulled out what looked like a handgun and said, I ain't playing around. I only want hundreds and fifties, according to the authorities. The teller filled the fast food bag with cash, including a bundle of 20s with recorded, recorded serial numbers. Warren then drove the $5,086 haul, a little shy of what he asked for, back to the car dealership where he had been in the process of buying a black BMW. He began waving the cash he had illegally obtained from the bank robbery at employees in the car dealership ready to buy a car. The fraudulent financing quickly went south for Warren when authorities called the car dealership 15 minutes later and informed workers about the getaway car with the dealer plates. Police arrived in the dealership and found Warren in possession of the traceable cash and a pellet gun <laughs> to look like a real weapon. He pled guilty and was sentenced to 20 years in prison for a crime. I guess he has plenty of time now to save up for that BMW. Congratulations, <laughs> Warren. You are this week's inductee into the Cigar Insane Asylum. Talk about a not well thought out plan. Yeah. That was... Uh, Pretty, pretty not sharp. <laughs> I mean, traceable dealer place. Well, listen, it was a great show, epic show today. Uh, Coop, sorry for the short time. Like I said, we no, ran no away. apologies necessary. Yeah, we ran away with Fed, and Lou was always great. Uh, everybody, yeah. yeah, everybody out there, have a great weekend. Next week we got one cancel. Is that got no? Correct? Next week is Kevin Shahan. That is okay. incorrect. No, the sheet was wrong. I thought so. I thought the it was sheet Kevin. was wrong. Yeah. yeah. No shocker there. Way to do your job well, Paul. Good job. Good job, Paul. And, and Kevin Shahan of Cigar Prop will be boot, on the show. To boot, he knew he was wrong and didn't bother to, at any point telling me to correct it. <laughs> I, I edited it, and I, I did not tell you guys to. Uh, I was trying to I was trying to get it up there before you would say it. Yeah. But next week, Kevin Shahan, Cigar Prop. Everybody out there, thanks for joining us. We hope we made another entertaining Saturday morning for you all. Until next week, keep it lit.